Hey, this is Kevin Pollack, and you're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. But I guess you knew that, didn't you? Unless, of course, you lost your head. without your head i'm nasty neil and i'm joined by vladimir john kubert writer producer star of luba he's also in one of my favorites everyone knows hannibal uh it's good to have you here good to be here cool so uh so first of all luba which uh i believe you're in san jose right now at the at the cinequest uh, film festival and you'll be pre- premiering the movie this saturday yeah we showed up on the 26th uh, my wife and I met here, actually. I was coming from England, and she was coming from home in Toronto, where we live and where Hannibal was shot. And uh, we met on the 26th, and the opening night red carpet was the 27th, which was that yesterday already? I can't, can't even remember. And um, our our movie opens on Saturday the 3rd. Mm-hmm. I so. thought, actually, you know, when you said you, you and your wife met there, I thought you meant, like, for the first time ever. Uh, nope. We met in Toronto for the first time Mm -hmm. and fell and fell in love. Oh, that's a very nice story. Mm -hmm. And the birds were singing. (laughs) Uh, For people who really, well, that's I got nice images in my mind now. And cherubim cherubim (laughs) were floating in the corners and with bleeding eyes. And (laughs) that's the part you like, right? The bleeding eyes and. Claws and fangs and yeah, yeah. All that. I'm not like a monster. I I mean I, I like regular movies too and nice stories. But uh, for uh, for what, people not what's, familiar, what's with one of your favorite on, family dramas? Favorite family dramas. Well, maybe that might not be my uh, 
my, my, my I mean, I like uh, mafia. Mo- uh, mafia movies are about a family, so uh, Goodfellas. Yes. Does that count? Yeah. Good, or, good fa- uh, Godfather Two. Yeah, that's a family. Yeah, definitely. You broke my heart. But so, uh, so for people not familiar with Luba, uh, give them an idea of what the movie's about, please. Who's not familiar with Luba? Uh, for anyone who might be listening, who who are just into like the crying uh, cherubs. Yeah, I don't. I don't believe there's anybody. But but what the hell? I'll tell you anyways. No, uh, fair enough. Luba, uh, I'm the writer and producer, and or one of the producers and um, one of the leads. I play the protagonist, Donnie Marchuk, who is the ex-husband to Luba Broda, who is the uh, heroine of the film, title character, who is played by the wonderful, talented Nicole Maroon, uh, who happens to be my wife. Mm-hmm. And um, the movie's uh, about a single mother who's been treading water for a while, and she's just starting to get the notion. She's a working-class girl and has a six-year-old kid and who she's raised mostly on her own. Um, and the ex-husband, my, my character, Donnie, is a uh, recovering addict. And he's been doing better lately. And around the time that we meet Luba, Luba's starting to get the idea that she wants to try to turn try to make some improvements in her life. Um, and um, just as she starts to s- get some stuff going on, Donnie relapses and uh, things get pretty hairy. Mm-hmm. No, but in, no, you re- but in, yeah, I wrote it and just to finish off, but in a strange way in in a um, somehow his degeneration, what happens with all of that, ends up kind of fostering to some degree her finally being able to make a change in her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, wh- where did this story, uh, what were like any inspirations from real life for you for the story? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a kid of a single mom. And mm-hmm. so I guess that story just resonates with me. And especially the, at this age, I'm, I've, I have a child of my own. So parenthood to me um, is much nobler, nobler in some aspects, at least uh, the ideal of it, anyways. And uh, than it used to be when I was younger. You almost like, at least when I was a kid, I almost like gave no credit anywhere to any parent. <laughs> um, but uh, now that I've kind of been through the wars a little bit, I, I appreciate the the um, sacrifices and the energy and the work that's required of parents. Um, even the most mediocre ones. And my mother was amazing. And she did, she fought through a lot to, to raise her two boys. And so I guess that story just generally resonated with me. And then when I was uh, in my late 20s, I think I met a, a woman who was, who Luba's loosely based on, who was also a single mother. And um, she, she was also a very disenfranchised, but had like the most buoyant spirit you had could ever imagine and even though she was getting the shit kicked out of her uh, all the time by life um she just just had such energy and lust for life and uh i was just so in awe of of this woman who had this uh kid that she was raising um in pretty pretty difficult uh in a pretty difficult environment mm-hmm. now, oddly enough i'm myself a single uh, mom and uh, it was two brothers, me and my brother. Uh, that oh, she raised. how about that? Yeah. yeah. I think there's Very a cool. few of us out there. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, uh, actually, has is your mom uh, still alive? Did you get to see the movie? She is. She is still alive. She's in fact coming to Cinequest. Uh, I just got oh, a text nice. her that she just arrived in San Francisco. Um, and she and my aunt are going to be who are uh, really they're the my mother is the biggest supporter that I've had in my life and continues to be up to this day. Um, in terms of my arts career. Um, so uh, it's appropriate that she's here for uh, the feature, f- feature film debut for me as a writer and producer. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, she and, she and my aunt, my auntie, are coming out <laughs> to see the film. So That's very cool. Yeah, it's going to be pretty great to have them here. Yeah. So like, uh, before we get more to the movie, uh, along those lines, like, did when was it that you like uh, wanted to uh, either make movies or act in movies? And uh, was your mom and your family always encouraging in that? Your aunt? Uh, my my mom was really supportive in just about anything that I did, and she's one of those things, one of those moms that thought I could do no wrong and thought I could do anything I wanted, um, and like really like rose colored glasses, <laughs> like way too much optimism and belief <laughs> in a son that was not nearly that skilled or talented. Um, but when I was a kid, I was very lazy. Um, didn't really like to do any work and really just wanted people to watch me. Um, and so acting seemed like the right place for me to be. Um, <laughs> So somewhere, I think in my early teens, uh, my mom just one summer stuck me in an arts camp. She didn't, she didn't know what else to do with me. She was a working mom, so she, she had to do something with me during the summers. And so I went to this arts camp and met a uh, mentor-type uh, drama teacher who ended up telling me to come to the School of the Arts in Toronto. And that sort of got the ball rolling. And I, I ended up going through the school system, getting my uh, – uh, degree also in theater arts and then started a career and uh, eventually got to writing and um, writing is what kind of got me to be not just a jerk faced actor who just wanted to be seen all the time and and that was the most important thing mm-hmm. um, and tra- helped me transform if I can say this in quotes into an artist uh, because when I started writing, I realized that I had I, I the thing that I liked the best about about acting and and movies was the telling stories. And specifically, I felt like I had some stuff to say about the world, about myself, about people. And once I started writing, that's when I realized that I that that me being in me choosing the path that I chose had some value to it mm-hmm. um, and started to feel like a real a real artist and a real professional. Mm-hmm. Actually, speaking of artists, there's some cool art in the movie, like uh, the opening and the closing credits, and then uh, one of the characters in the movie. Uh, well, who who did that? Who did like uh, the art in the movie? John Coburn is an is uh, an artist from Toronto, and he's kind of known for that style of line drawing that that you see in the film, um, mm-hmm. and I've known him. He's part of this peer group that I belong to. Uh, it's a professional actors peer group, and he sort of just moonlights as an actor. Um, his his professional uh, work is as an artist, and he's he's done work everywhere. And he, he did a beautiful campaign for Macy's and a whole bunch of other stuff. I know he did a um, 9/11 thing on Wall Street uh, the ten year for the ten year anniversary. 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he happened to be an old friend of mine, and he actually spoke at our wedding. Nicole's and Nicole's in my wedding, and we wanted to use his apartment um, for. Or no, I can't. I, I think I rewrote the character, knowing that John was available to me. So the the character of Ben, who is kind of sort of a love interest, and and I don't want to spoil it, so I won't say anything else. But who we sure. who, who Luba meets halfway through the film. Um, I ended up I ended up writing this this uh, his professional uh, Ben the character in the movie his profession profession as an artist into the film because of John because I knew John and uh, I, I can't pardon me that I can't remember which came first but uh, his studio was available to us and John was interesting so so anyways Ben became an artist and we shot in the studio. And then the, including the art and John's art in the film in terms of the, uh, the sequences, the opening and closing sequences, that, came, that kind of came later. It was um, during shooting that we started to talk about this idea. I think it may have even been around the time that we were shooting in John's studio. Um, so kind of as a, it was a gradual idea. And then once, once we decided that we were going to move forward with it and we did it, we, I, I think it's a real asset to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at the end, I think the way that the film closes, it'll, I think it allows the uh, viewer to accept a, a certain level of transformation from Luba um, that they might not have otherwise because it kind of lives in this sort of is it real, is it not world. So it's, mm-hmm. it's the, the, the movie doesn't close so literally, but it suggests or hints at, uh, at a better life for Luba. And I think that art really helped with that. Yeah, you, and then right at the beginning, so? it kind of. So? Yeah, I, I get that. And then at the beginning, it's, you know, a lot of uh, foreshadow of different scenes you're going to see. And then uh, I liked how you just put that about uh, the transformation. Because it does, you know, it shows uh, what each character uh, looks like, what's going to happen to them in the future. So that's a good way to put it. Yeah. It was uh, cool art. Yeah, he's got a great style, and and like I said, he's he's worked all over the world. He does a lot of commissions in Paris, New York City, and other places, Tokyo, I think. Um, and he's really one of the most lovely men ever. Actually, not not unlike the 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 woman I mentioned earlier, who's who sort of inspired the character of Luba. Um, John has that same buoyancy and and just loves life, man. The dude just loves life, and he's so genuine. And I don't, I don't know if you got friends like this in your life, but the people that are, who are so genuine are the ones that I, I personally um, respond to the most. And John, I he's, feel like I can trust that guy just about as much as anybody. And, and again, his, his uh, lust for life is really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about the name itself, Luba? I mean, obviously it's an unusual name. Uh, did that come from anywhere? It was a bigger deal actually earlier in the script. Um, there was there was sort of a re- re- a more obvious reclamation reclamation. Is it reclamation or reclamation? <laughs> I think it's reclamation. Reclamation. But, uh, I'm not positive. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, one of those. Whatever. <laughs> she did one of those things, um, and her her name was a part of that. Uh, you may you may rec- recollect that mostly people call her Lou. And at what point? At what point in the script? The script was more Sandra Bullocky earlier in the movie. Uh, there was some more obvious markers of development and progress, and I, 
uh, wanted to soften that a bit. I didn't want things to be too clear cut and too, if I may, Hollywood. So I took away some things that were there. One of them was where, where Luba and this love interest character are having a final moment near the end of the film. He says to her, okay, we'll see you later, Lou. And she says, Luba. <laughs> and then, you know, it's that moment. I think you know what I'm talking about. And yeah. then we, and it's the first time she refers to herself as Luba. And it was a whole thing. Um, mm. And then I took that out. So why did I tell you? But anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, Luba is a Ukrainian name and I'm Ukrainian. Uh, so I tried to sprinkle. Okay. Uh, yeah, the development of the writing, there wasn't too much Ukrainian in the uh, of my Ukrainian cultural tradition. In the first draft, or you know, you write the script a hundred times from by the time you finally get to shooting it. Um, and at the beginning, there really wasn't any Ukrainian stuff. And somewhere along the way, I realized I should be putting this in. This is it's interesting. There's some beautiful colors in this, and and uh, I think it'd be interesting to people, especially people who don't know it. Um, Mm-hmm. And her name wasn't Luba at the beginning, and then I and then I chose the name Lou. I always wanted her to have a tomboy name. I like the idea um, of her having a name that I don't know. Do you remember Facts of Life? Oh, oh yeah, of course. You take and the do you remember? Good, you take the bad. You take them both, and there yeah, you go. Yeah, the facts of Life. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so Joe was like my first crush as a as a yes. boy. Uh-huh. And she had that tomboy name, and I think that's where I, I, you know, I kind of wanted to fall in love with the character of Luba, and somehow that tomboy name. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what it does, but certainly in the in this movie, I wanted I wanted that for whatever reason. I, I found it appealing for this character. Do you yeah. know what that is? Do you do you like tomboy names? Is that a thing for other people? Um, yeah, especially when I when I was young. Uh, well, I'm not not any different now, I guess. But yeah, when I was a kid, definitely uh, was uh, more into the tomboy boys like you're saying uh, i remember joe and yeah, i don't know i, I, I like it because it's unusual or or did you like blair you were a nah, blair guy nah, you? you're a blair nah, guy nah definitely not a big nah tootie was, uh, <laughs> oh you're a tootie guy <laughs> uh, no, i'm not dude too uh, she was pretty, uh, on the roller skates yeah. that's good <laughs> yeah she had the skates uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah and what you mentioned about uh about uh, sprinkling in some of your own culture and even like the, the artist, I think that kind of like fleshes out the characters and, you know, makes them more realistic. Like these are actually, you know, people that have, uh, that have lives and, you know, something unusual about them. Yeah. And I, I think the movie, the, the inclusion of the Ukrainian cultural traditions, there's not a lot of it. Um, you know, there's a, the Christmas dinner at the opening and, Really, actually, it's mostly just the opening closing sequences and otherwise sort of just some incidental interaction via Bob and Nancy. And she's the she's the last member of the family that's trying to stay in contact with the Ukrainian heritage that they have. Donnie's Donnie really doesn't have any connection with it anymore. And the uh, mm-hmm. Bob and Nancy's sister and her husband kind of they go through the motions, but. Um, Bob and Nancy's the only one that really is still still pushing for it and still trying to make it happen. Um, <clears throat> and I think actually that you know I uh, I think one of the things that is interesting to me is like third and fourth generation people in North America who don't ha- really have that connection anymore to where they came from, mm-hmm. and then being in a country without any kind of identity culturally. 
kind of you kind of you're kind of left on your own a little bit, and I and it's not like hitting we're not hitting anybody over the head with it, but I think it's in there yeah. somewhere for people who who maybe just have that in their own life or maybe they'll see it. But I think Luba, you know, and Donnie, both of them as these third or fourth generation Canadians don't really have any connection to any tradition in their life. And, and I think, I don't know how much of a part of it, of that plays into the loneliness and, and the ease with which Donnie falls into despair, but you know, may, it could be a part of it anyways. Uh, but uh, the other thing I th- think is that I think those colors are nice in a movie you know it adds it adds flavor and texture Mm -hmm. and and as you said like it gives you a better idea of who the people are and I think of Woody Mm -hmm. Allen movies you know Woody Allen movies there's a lot of Jewish tradition but the movies aren't about Jewish tradition right um and I think our movies sort of similar like that there is some Ukrainian stuff in there but it's it's not about that yeah I think stuff like that even if you don't like uh actually even notice it just that it's there it adds it adds something yeah mm-hmm. so how about donnie himself uh is he uh inspired by anybody and uh what was it like to you know play that role most of most of the bad bad guy characters quote unquote um that i've written um are usually inspired by myself <laughs> And where I think I either am going or was going. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I usually take, like with Donnie, I relate him to a part, a period in my life where I was very destructive and didn't have any sense of self and didn't have any solutions to, to uh, my questions or my problems other than than to medicate. Um, so I got out of that, I got out of that pattern, but, Mm -hmm. um, I write Donnie almost as a cautionary tale to myself. Like this is where, this is where you were going. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it. I know the feeling of, of going, going back to vices that seem like, well, this is the answer. Uh, you know, there, there's these things that we do that strangely enough, I remember this. I don't know if you have experience with, you know, drinking or drugs or whatever, but my relationship um, with that stuff was that I'd keep doing it. And I had this like ideal in my head of of where I would arrive while I was using the stuff. And I was always in pursuit of this ideal. Um, You know, the one time that you're at a party and you were, you know, perfectly, perfectly high, perfectly drunk, smoking and chicks were loving you and you were hilarious and your buddies were all, all thought you were hilarious and everything mm-hmm. worked. And you know, that happens to you one time in college and then you're chasing that for the rest of your life as a, as somebody who continuously uses. Mm-hmm. And that's always the answer. And I think Donnie's like that. Like he just, he can't think of other solutions or they're just too hard for him. Um, so he, he always, he always goes back to the same thing, especially when things get really tricky and, you know, in this movie things go wrong early on and he just doesn't, he doesn't know how to choose another path and he doesn't know how to, to look, to look for a different answer. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, just to finish it. Sorry. You know, I'll let you jump in. I was, that was a little long winded. No, I, I was, I think it's very interesting. 
Yeah. So, uh, so I take that, which I, I like, I know that. So I know that mm-hmm. what that's like, I know that struggle and I happen to have overcome it, but I've actually written stuff where I was still in the process of figuring, not to say I've completely, like I've arrived, I haven't arrived, but I've, I'm certainly, I'm certainly further along than Donnie was than Donnie is in this film. Um, and so I, I look at what's going on for me in my life. A lot of the time when I'm writing the the antagonists and, and try to figure out where they're headed. And again, I, I think I'm almost always telling, telling myself, you know, you got to watch it because you, you know, you have to, you have to fight for, you have to fight to be better. You have to fight to make good choices. Making good choices is hard. It's hard. It requires, you got to be brave, even little ones, you know, even like going out and not having a drink, you know, that's hard Mm -hmm. for many, many people. Um, And it seems like, you know, like so easy to do and and will make things better so often. Um, But for a lot of people, it's the total opposite of that. Not everybody has this, you know, a struggle with this stuff. Some people, it's, they can partake and it's not Mm -hmm. a big deal, but certainly people like Donnie, and and to some degree myself at one point in my life really you know have trouble with that yeah and i like that he's self-aware of it uh he knows uh the path he's going down and you know uh he knows what's going to happen and he talks about it and also like that uh, uh for the most part you know obviously the i don't want to spoil the movie or anything but uh he's a sympathetic guy like you uh, you don't hate him for most of the movie or anything like that you know, uh, he's kind of charismatic and everything. So you can see why, like, his, his son loves him and everything. And, and I like that because it seems like a real person, not just, you know, this very, you know, everything's negative. Uh, you know, he's a despicable guy or anything like that. Just someone with his problems. Yeah. And then, of course, it gets much worse. But Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that you uh, responded that way to, to him. That's good to hear. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did I want to say about that? Yeah, I think one of the things that happens with movies that deal with drug addiction and alcoholism is that uh, um, making making full characters who are who have um, appealing traits about them as well as as well as watching them degenerate. You know, getting mm-hmm. those things happening at the same time in a in a ninety minute movie, it's hard to do. And I can see why it doesn't happen. It doesn't work a lot, but I think it's really important that it does, especially if, especially if you're making you know making a movie where you want to explore addiction and you want people to be sympathetic to the characters. You have to find a way to make them appealing. And I think a lot a lot of times the way that the characters are appealing is just by being shit kicking, uh, party hard rock stars. But you don't really get to see a lot of intelligence necessarily, or or softness, um, or or caring, and mm-hmm. uh, I think I think to some degree you see enough of that in this movie from Donnie that as as it seems you're saying you find him sympathetic to some degree even as he's um, spiraling downwards. Yeah, yeah, and he just can't can't be left alone alone in the movie uh and i don't think that's spoiling anything because it's pretty much right right at the beginning yeah because he's left alone himself uh he's just you know gonna go down that path right away yeah pretty soon 
pretty soon. I mean, the movie is 87 minutes long, so we can't take, we couldn't take too much, <laughs> too much time sure, to get sure. to it. Mm-hmm. Remind you me. Gotta, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, have you, do you know about Save the Cat? Do you know that? No, I don't know what that is. Okay, well, there's this, there's a, a writing book that's sort of like the screenplay writing Bible for Hollywood. And it tells you, you got to have, you know, by page 10 of your script, this has to happen. And by page 18, this has to happen. And by 30, page 30, this has to happen. And so forth throughout the script. And it, mm-hmm. it's it's like, it will swear up and down this book that, that this is the key to a successful movie, is that you have to have all these markers. Um, I kind of, I, I bring it up because in sort of jest, to to mock it to some degree but also there is there is some truth to it like mm-hmm. you know you want you want to be able to take your, your time fleshing out these characters in a movie you really as especially as a filmmaker you really want to be able to present full rich people with backstories that people will really, really get to take their time with getting to know and get to know a lot about them you don't want them to just know this one thing in the whole movie, that's all That's all the movie is about in terms of each of these characters that you're going to meet in the film. And that it's just so hard to do, especially when you know you're going to lose your audience within 12 or 13 minutes. Either you're going to bore them or they won't find characters appealing or whatever. So, you know, you, that first 15 minutes is really important and, and especially conflict and and action, those are things that if you don't have stuff happening early, you know, a lot of people check out. So you're very cognizant of that as a writer about that first 20 minutes of your film, you know, and really mm-hmm. actually it's, it's, you know, I, I think we took a, I took, or I don't know, we all took a risk to some degree on this film, allowing the action to take as long as it did to play out. Cause I don't think we really get to it until about the 11th or 12th minute. Um, and for a lot of films, mm-hmm. that's a, you know, they get into it. And like these days, it's like in the second minute, like the Martian. I don't know. I just saw that the <laughs> right. other day. It's like, yeah, a minute, a minute in and everybody's dying. You know, or uh, what was the one with Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio? That one where he just gets the, oh, the Revenant for, yeah. for two hours. Right. Yeah, the Revenant, I believe. Yeah. yeah, the Revenant. You know, like, I mean, how soon into that did people start dying? Like, it was pretty quick. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, it is just nonstop. Uh, it's just a big giant battle scene. I think is the opening scene. Uh, they're getting attacked when you don't even really know any of the characters or anything. It's just, it just opens up. They're like bringing their furs to their uh, to their boat, and like you know, they just get swarmed and attacked. Uh, which, in a way, is neat. But I mean, you don't even you're not even in a way you don't even care about who's getting killed because you don't even know who they are yet. Yeah, and that's that's my feeling is is that I need to know who people are. Um, if I don't know who they are, then I, I won't care about them. I'm not going to care right. about somebody, uh, just meeting them for 10 seconds and then they get, you know, then they're already into the, you know, either getting the shit kicked out of them or fighting for their life. I, I don't know them. Why would I care? So <laughs> right. to me, to me, it's important to, that you got to know, you know, you got to know somebody to, to like mm. them in a film. You got to know them. I don't know how else you have, you like characters and want to root for them. Right, right. Or else, uh, uh, why would it matter? You know, uh, what happens to this guy if, if you don't know anything about him? Yeah, and, and that's not important to everybody. Not everybody really cares to necessarily connect with the characters so much or or, or not in, a, uh, in an emotive way. Uh, you know, some people just, you know, 
I understand people come to movies for all sorts of reasons, but the kind of movie that we are making here was one where you got to care about the characters. If you don't, then the movie won't succeed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, have you seen the movie with a, with an audience yet, or will this weekend be the first time? Uh, this will be the first time with the proper audience. There's been lots of small screenings for it with like handfuls mm-hmm. of people, but but that was purely for the sake of like. Um, putting the movie together you know um mm-hmm. like uh making editorial changes and stuff we would show the show the movie to people and get feedback and stuff like that so this is the first time we're actually sitting down in a room with people that we don't know who are all there with ticket in hand and a bag of popcorn and <laughs> and soda pop and are gonna just chomp away in the film while they're watching the movie which is pretty fun you know yeah. uh, i've been, I've been Yep, sir. Go, go on, ahead. sir. No, I was just wondering, uh, you were about to say you've been, I don't know, in that, I don't think you've been in that situation well, before. Well, it's my baby. This is feature, my baby but... now. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, what I was going to say is that I've been in the theater before with other people watching the film and everything, but it's not, it hasn't been my baby. So it's a different story when it's your baby. Um, yeah. You know, and, other, and the other situations where I'm just an actor in the film and, you know, I kind of cringe a little bit during my scenes and like, uh... <laughs> Uh, uh-huh. I hope they don't notice that. I hate that that line delivery <laughs> or whatever. But you know, I'm not sweating the whole film. You know, whereas mm-hmm. this, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like trot. It's like your kid comes out to perform and and you're there in the audience with them and you just you just hope they don't trip or whatever. <laughs> you know, and you just want people to like it. Um, uh-huh. You want people to to because. You know, to a large, a large degree, my, it's my heart and soul are in this thing, along with Nicole, who produced the film with me, and, and Kaylee, the director, Kaylee Wilson, and and Justin Beatty, the DP. Like, there's a core group of uh, those four, um, and our our executive producers. I don't think they're as emotionally involved because they weren't involved in the creative part so much. Uh, but Mark Navabi and Bill Struss, but then our editors. Our editor Chris Mutton and our score, our composer James Newberry, who really poured a lot of heart and soul into this film, and it took a long time to put everything together. And you know, we we worked hard, we, we, you know, with so many revisions to get each and every element of the film right, from the score to the to the picture edit to the sound design. Tom Murray, who who was our re-recording mixer, do you know what that is? No. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, he's the guy that makes the whole film sound good. He makes the dialogue. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yeah, the dialogue's got to sit properly with the score. He does some EQing on the score, on the dialogue, on the sound effects, on the foley. He's the guy that at the very mm-hmm. end puts all the different ele- all the si- different sound elements together and makes them all sit just right. And Tom mm-hmm. Murray was our re-recording mixer, and he was at it forever. So, you know, every, every film has so much labor, um, which I don't think, you know, unless you're in the business, you you don't realize, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about what about Kelly? You, uh, the director Kelly Wilson. Uh, did you know her before? How, how did uh, how did she come about to become the director? Uh, our Kelly happens to be a man. I'm so sorry about that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, well, I'll let him I'll edit that. that. Nick. I'll let him. I'll <laughs> tell him, and and you and you uh, and him can have a discussion about that. I think he's right. fine with it, though. 
He must get okay. that a lot, I think, uh, because I think since we've been at Cinequest anyways, I think pretty much everybody's presumed that it's a, that Killy's a woman because <laughs> he's not here. So everybody's like, how is she? Is she, is she nice? I'm like, yeah, he's, he's great. Kaylee, <laughs> uh, my wife and I basically uh, produced the – we were developing the film for about three years before things really started to move. And when we met Justin, D, the DP – um, we had just secured our financing, and and then Justin, the DP, was Justin Beatty was the first person that really um, was our first key member of the creative team uh, to sign on. And then he was the one that introduced us to Kaylee Wilson, who he and Kaylee had known each other. Uh, they had come up together for years and years and years, and they were both about to take this next step as as project leaders, and they were looking for something. Um, to to sink to start get that rolling and Justin himself had the DP had just purchased a beautiful camera called an Ari Alexa Mini and he wanted to shoot his first feature on it and um, um, we happened to be there at the right place and right time because he's he's a very talented person and uh, the equipment that he had is beautiful equipment and he suggested that we. Uh, meet with Kaylee. And so Kaylee, we agreed and Kaylee and Justin, myself and Nicole all sat down. We had a few round tables together um, to discuss the film and uh, talk everything over. And after I think our third meeting, maybe um, we decided we were, we we're all going to move, move forward together. Um, mm. And I, this was Kaylee's uh, debut as a feature as well. No, very cool. Pretty much the entire the entire team is is mm -hmm. first time uh, at the position that they're at. So Justin's DP'd many things before, but not a feature. Um, mm -hmm. Kaylee's directed things before, but not a feature. I've written and produced things before, but not a feature. So we're all yeah. we're all taking that next step with this film. Yeah, yeah. So all it's all of your baby in a way. I'll, I would assume the movie's very personal to all of you then. Yeah, to varying degrees for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe uh, Troy is here with us now. I am indeed. Very good. How are you Very guys good. doing tonight? Good. Yeah, how are you, good. Troy? Excellent, thank you. All right. Yeah. So I I did see uh, that uh, at the end it's dedicated to Sam Moses who plays a doctor in the movie. Uh, uh, when did he pass away? So we wrapped um, we wrapped principal photography in april of 2016 i think it was and then he passed away a couple months later and it was very unexpected um he got something called legionnaire's disease and wow that's like an old disease huh? yeah yeah and not to get into it too much but he acquired that and that led to other things and then he was in intensive care for a period of weeks and at the beginning it, they thought it was just pneumonia and then they thought it was something else and then eventually got diagnosed with legionnaire's disease and at, and then uh around that time he fell into a coma and he never came out of it and um after he had he had a heart attack and yeah, and then he passed away, and uh, he's he's well known in Canada, and I think a lot of people in America would know him uh, or or recognize him. He was um, 
in Ghostbusters, actually, uh, probably oh. that uh, a very minor role, but a very loved yeah. role. He was the hot dog vendor. Oh, and, okay. And he was in Moscow on the Hudson with Robin mm-hmm. Williams. Um, and he played a very funny character in that. And he was also in Adventures in Babysitting. As a ve- he's, he's a, one of the funniest uh, guys I've ever met in my life and sweetest. And uh, he played a really funny doctor in Adventures. He had a really like comedic, like that classic clown face where just an eyebrow raise could, could mm-hmm. crack the room up. <laughs> and he he was somebody I'd known for decades. Um, his son is one of my oldest friends, is my best friend and my oldest friend. And um, Sam and I eventually became friends ourselves. Uh, and he was actually part of that same peer group that the artist John Coburn was in. And yeah, so so the film Luba's his last film after four decades uh, he started acting in the 70s after being in the national ballet of canada um oh, wow. yeah and he was he living in new york city for a long time so he had a prolific career that spanned many decades and he's well known in canada for a few different things mm-hmm. and uh yeah luba was his last last uh work mm-hmm. um how about your wife uh playing the lead was uh was she always gonna be luba no, that's. I think that's a, one of our, the most interesting stories of our film, production-wise. Um, she and I were throughout the whole development. She was never. I think we talked about it maybe once, sort of casually. Like, w- would you be interested? And then she's like, No, no, I don't want to do it. Um, I think the reason why she wrote it off immediately, um, I would guess, is that she just didn't think it would be good for our relationship, our marriage. Um, so it was, it wasn't really on the table actually throughout that three years. And then the financing happened very quickly, just suddenly, which is how it often works in the film. Nothing's happening for years. And then suddenly something happens and then every, and then you have to, you have to go. You can't wait. That's why, I don't know if you know about film schedules, but they're just bizarre and crazy and weird. And, and it doesn't make sense from the outside, but once you've been in the business for a long time, it starts to make more sense because you can just lose momentum so easily. So as soon and it's all about the money. As soon as you have access to money, you gotta go. You gotta go because that because if you don't, then you'll lose that money. It won't be available mm. to you. So that's that's what happens. And and you know, per the industry norm, that happened with our film too. So suddenly we're going, and we still didn't have our Luba yet. We had one actress that we really liked. Um, and things kind of started and then fell apart at that time with her. And then we kind of lost contact and we hadn't been in touch with her for a year and a half. And then Nicole and I had an opportunity to do some other stuff together and, uh, during that development time. And then just somehow it just worked that it's like, I think you have to do it. I think you got to do it. And we talked about it and she, I think she set a whole bunch of parameters. Like these are all the rules. If we're going forward, these are the rules of how we got to go forward. And uh-huh. I think I just agreed to them all. Uh, Cause I really trusted her and, and felt like she'd be able to do a really good job with the film and also being mm-hmm. really asked as my wife. I knew that if, if the whole thing didn't blow up, which I knew that was uh, just as likely a possibility <laughs> Uh, uh-huh. But if it didn't, then having her as my wife would be such an advantage uh, in terms of work. Like, and it was. Um, 
I, I can't imagine a, a producing team working harder than Nicole and I have together on this film. Um, and around, we can we can work around the clock. Like I, at four o'clock in the morning, if we're both up and doing stuff, and or one of us is and needs some consultation, or somebody or somebody somebody else has got to do some work, I can give her a shove, and you know she's got, she has to get up. And her <laughs> husband, she's got to get up. <laughs> what you can say, no. Well, then she's not getting breakfast right. the next morning. I'm not making it. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, so I think in a lot of ways that reluctance to to or I don't know if reluctance is the right word or the fact that she wasn't uh, necessarily invested in in playing this character, even though she's an actress. That's what she uh, that's her profession. Um, But she she wasn't choosing to play Luba. That was never on, on the table for her. So and I think that somehow helped. Well, I don't know if it helped, but she's so genuine in the movie. Her performance is so honest. It's so un- unadorned with BS. Like, she's not working so hard. I don't know if you know what I mean, but a lot of, a lot of acting sometimes, they're working so hard. And, mm-hmm. and I think the way that she came into this film, plus the fact that she was juggling 10,000 jobs all at the same time as a producer as well, um, meant that she just didn't have time for bullshit. And I think that really showed in her performance, which I, I, I don't know, I'd be interested to hear what you say. Um, I think it's a very, very genuine and appealing, likable character, Luba is. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's a very real uh, uh, performance. Uh, exactly what you said. It doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem uh, kind of hokey, like a character like that might. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It just seems like a, a real person, you know, going through this. Oh, good. Hundred percent. And, and we're uh, still married. Go on, sorry. And and Nicole and I are still married. We well, that's it. great. That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's the best part of the whole yeah. thing. I think. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was touch and go there for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, since Troy's here now, I do want to uh, bring up Hannibal because. Uh, yeah, uh, I didn't just make this up. Uh, we talked about every week. We'd have a segment on the show where we would discuss uh, the week's episode. It was uh, oh, all true. Oh uh, yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, let me help you so, out. Uh, yeah. So, well, first of all, how did you actually get involved in Hannibal? Uh, well, the way that m- most roles go, you audition and you get cast. <laughs> um. Uh. Well, a couple of things that I think are interesting about is is that um, I thought I was only auditioning for a single episode. I didn't think he was going to be – there was no indication from the the breakdown that I got that he was going to be an ongoing character throughout the show. And I I actually don't think – I don't think Brian Fuller knew at the time that that was going to be the case. He was doing a lot of writing of each episode in real time, like basically – the week before shooting, they would get the scripts or even a couple of days before hmm. um, they would get the scripts. Yeah. So I think he was really working with a lot of what he was seeing during production on the day. He would see something happening. It was like, I got to do this. Now I got to change the scripts. This is, this is a storyline I like, cause this is what I'm seeing. There's magic here. So we're going to, we're going to go with this stuff. So he was very, very fluid and very, very in real time writing the stuff which i think is highly unusual you know for i think it might be happening a little bit more these days but certainly in the old days it didn't it didn't go that way 
Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, I also was by far the youngest actor that was in the room auditioning with me. Um, at least that I saw there were most of the guys like, I think 10 years older than me. So I was sort of wondering what I was doing there in the first place. Uh, but then I got the part and then they kept calling me back and that was wonderful and great. And, and, um, I kept being like, I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure. Like, what are they, what are they, what are they going to get me to do this thing? <laughs> when my agent would call me and say, yeah, they want you back for episode three and then four and five or whatever. I'm like, really? Like what now? And uh, yeah, then, I, then I get the script and look at it and be like, oh, all right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that. All right. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, That's cool, though, to become a much bigger part of uh, of the show than you expected to be if you were just, you know, assumed it was going to be a one uh, episode. Yeah, it, it was great. And I mean, uh, the Hannibal production was really special. Um, mm-hmm. The the vibe of that set and the crew and the cast and everybody was just very special. There was, uh, any, I don't know if it's a top down thing. I don't know if it's just Brian and then everything flew, flew flows from there. Um, but certainly in, when I was there during shooting those, especially the first season, cause I was only in one episode in the second and third seasons each. Um, mm-hmm. But throughout that first season, it just felt so good. It felt so like people really, really were invested in the show and trying to make something special. It felt like that. And it doesn't always feel that way. In fact, most of the time it doesn't. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not surprised now, at least, you know, hindsight 2020, uh, that that the show has the following that it does still. And, and is kind of, I think it's part of like the television canon now isn't it isn't i think it is i think it's right there yeah i just like you're saying i mean i think all that came through that everyone that that was making it really uh wanted to make something special because every detail looked great it was so unusual for uh especially network uh television uh and uh i mean it was not even just like the graphic stuff i just it was very well made and it was uh well paced it wasn't you know, nonstop, uh, you know, killing or anything like that. And the stories played out very well. It was a, I thought it was just a, a fantastic uh, show. Yeah. I, I th- there was a lot of things about Hannibal that were the, that were the first for network television, I think for the big three network, uh, NBC, ABC, CBS and Fox. I don't think they were, I think Hannibal was right at the forefront of a lot of the changes that happened, um, with network TV and I, I got to tell you, every week that I got my script and I read it, and I was like, and and seeing, especially seeing how they were executing things on set, particularly the the really gruesome stuff, uh, mm-hmm. I, I I was like, how I don't understand, you know, at the time, I don't I don't know how this is getting approved. I don't right, see how right. I don't see how this show is going to make it to air. I really thought, like, it didn't make any sense to me, knowing what I knew about network television. Um. But they somehow got it on. <laughs> they somehow, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Yeah. 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 I think there was only one episode that was just like pulled because it came after, uh, I don't know if it was a shoot, some, some kind of tragedy, and they, they pulled yeah, the episode. It it's season. on the Blu ray, but it was. Yeah, yeah it was that's right. Um, I don't know if you remember 
remember the I think it was the first episode of the second season, but it, but when it was the tapestry, the circular tapestry where they were all so, sewn together. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I just I just was astounded by that. <laughs> and that was on NBC. It was on NBC. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every week that show would blow my mind a little bit just with things like that. Yeah. And there's a funny story amongst the cast and crew about there there was a one scene and I think it was the second season where there was butt crack in it and the, it, it wasn't getting approved by NBC so they put blood on it to cover up the butt crack and that's awesome like, oh, okay. Okay. that's no, perfect <laughs> like oh, all right it's, it's it's blood that's fine yeah so, we can't so just, butt crack. just a bloody butt butt crack. Crack, that's no go funny. bloody butt crack good to go <laughs> yeah that's tremendous uh, so um so uh, but Brian Fuller himself, uh, what was he like? Uh, were you was he hands on a lot? I assume he was. But did you have a lot of interaction with him? I had a fair bit at the beginning, especially of the first season. Um, mm-hmm. As the season wore on, I saw him less and less. But uh, yeah, quite a bit at the beginning. Um, and we had a number of conversations that were pretty interesting. You know, I, I was really curious about a lot of what I was reading in the script. So, you know, if there was any downtime. Um, I'd ask him about things like the gender changes and, um, things like that, that I thought were curious and he was, he's very amiable. And I don't know if you know the fanable base fan base at all, but he was just at, um, the red, the red dragon convention in England, just the one before this last one that I was at. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I just heard story after story about how he was there till like two o'clock in the morning signing autographs like way after everybody else had left he wow. was still there and they were like yeah and and the entire team of people that had to stay around um you know that worked the convention just had to stay and wait for him to finish but he wanted to give full attention to each fanable that was there that was so invested in the show and wanted to talk to him about this common love that they had and and yeah he took time with each and every one of them for for both or all, all the time that he was there it's a three-night convention um oh, you know, wow so I, now I is, is, is that i'm sorry is that convention just for the tv show or, or is it for everything you know hannibal related like the movies and the move and the in the books well there's there's all sorts of conventions but the one that i'm the ones that i'm talking about yeah, are yeah. Right by yeah, that's uh, what I mean. Yeah, the one, the ones that I'm talking about are run by Star Fury, and they're Hannibal exclusive ones, um, in in Heathrow in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'd love to go to one of those. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And there's a new one that's been in Toronto. Uh, they had their first one last year uh, called Fanable Fest Toronto, and that one's also great. Um, it's it's a more of a homemade cottage style operation i think the woman that runs it just does it like it's her own personal pet project it's she's not a a professional um mm-hmm. but she was still able to get some i think like three or i don't i don't want to say 400 at least 300 attendees and um there was like the fanables i don't know if you know the community that well it sounds like you do but you know the art are you familiar with all the art that's produced from the fanable community mm-hmm. 
Honestly, no. I mean, we no. love the show, but I, I yeah, didn't really gonna know. Yeah, we're going to have to look this into this now. Oh, yeah. It's it's prolific. There's so much. There's And even now, there's so much. And, you know, it runs the gamut from, like, an, anime-type stuff to, like, autoerotic art with with Hannibal and, and Will. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and, and everything, everything in between, and then sort of cartoon styles and dolls and embroidery and, like, weird growth uh this one woman at this convention showed me her art where she actually goes and buys organs and takes photography of the organs oh. that she purchases like i'm like real human organs livers and hearts and shit and then she she shoots it um that's that's what the art that she makes and you know there's there's an incredible amount of creative energy um that it that that is coming out of those fanables that, and there's so much art. You got to check it out. Wow. Anyway. So yeah, you've the, just opened up our eyes to a whole new thing now. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. And at the fanable fest Toronto one, they had a, a room where all of the fanable artists brought their art and, uh, like a display room, like a showroom, like you would wow. have at, at an art gallery. And it was really impressive. And then this last Fanable uh, at, at Red Dragon Con 4, um, RDC 4 for short, in England, they put on a musical. And it was 10 oh, no, countries. Nice. <laughs> Fanables from 10 different countries liaison over the course of the last year to, to uh, write, produce, organize, rehearse, and put on this musical. Oh, that's week. fantastic. Yeah. That's why. So uh, I actually went to a Silence of Musical, which was a lo- locally produced uh, uh, parody musical about Silence of the Lambs. So right. was this? Uh, yeah, which actually was fantastic. And uh, so was this? Was this like uh, comedic or was it more serious? Or no, it's it's pretty pretty comedic. It's tongue in cheek. Yeah. I mean, the people that love this show, it's a really interesting group. Um, I would never have guessed it. Like when I was shooting, if you had asked me what the fan base would be like, it would not, right. have, I would not have guessed it was, it would be the, the people that are attending the, the fanable conventions. I, I personally, this is my own take on the lineage of it. But if I was to draw a straight line from Hannibal backwards through entertainment history, I draw the straight line from, from the new fan base of Hannibal the line would go straight back to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, yeah! I and never would have guessed that either. I wouldn't have, but that's that's what I see. And uh, you guys tell me. You you sounds like you might show up at one of these at some point, just as a point of curiosity. Yeah. The, oh yeah. Now, now yeah, like definitely. Yeah, it's a uh-huh. really really eclectic, interesting group of people. Um, and yeah, I'll leave it at that. And and I and really loving too. Like I I always have so much fun. There's so much fun. They just they there's nothing but warmth and goodwill. They just want to. They're just so happy to have you there, and they just want to hang out with you and have fun together. And it's a really great. It's really great to go to them. I really enjoy them. Yeah. So what was it like to see yourself as a toy? As an action figure, well, a doll, I guess. Uh. <laughs> Uh, kind of fun. I mean, I didn't, you know, to be honest, I didn't really think about it too much. I, you know, they, they, actually, I had, I really only 
I mean, I just interacted with the thing the one time that we took the pictures, and otherwise, I really haven't even thought about it. To, to, to be honest, but it's neat. Yeah. It's kind of neat. See, I actually, yeah, yeah. I was just say I found I found when I was looking uh, to put the banner together that came up in my Google search. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. There he, he's there holding the toy. So yeah, it's funny yeah. that not the one time now it's everywhere in Google. Yeah, well, there's that. I mean, there's so much of that stuff now for all of these you know shows that have these cult fan bases, right? Like. So I mean it's it's neat. I love it. It's neat and fun and stuff. Not but not totally surprising. Like I'm like, oh yeah, okay, a, a Garrett Jacob Hobbs doll. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> right, exactly. And, and also there was a thing that came up a lot I thought was funny is uh there's an animated gif of you being shot, which uh I don't know if you've seen, but uh Party I don't know hard, how you dude. Would... <laughs> that one? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that one got somebody sent that to me some point. Uh, I, even I think I think it's been around for a couple of years actually. Probably, I'd seen a long probably. time ago. There, there was actually another one that I really liked. I haven't been able to find it since I first saw it years ago. But it was like this weird dance number with Hannibal, myself, and Jack Crawford, I think. And we're the, you know how they take the heads and they put it on, you know, like. Uh, there's like live action and they take the end. The, yeah. Kind of, right. They put it on and then it, the, it's like a big bobblehead. They, uh, what are those? What are the, what's that? I don't know. I can't remember. I know. Uh, I know the, the web, there's a website where you can do. Yeah. That's what, cut, yeah. Uh, that thing. It's not ad libs, but it's, uh, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, something jib. Jib jab. Jib jab. There we go. Oh yeah. Jib yeah, jab's like, a great site. Yeah, and so they somebody made a jib jab, one of those kinds of things that went around for a while, and it was it was pretty funny. It was very like, um, uh, what's that Halloween song? It was the the great flesh. Oh, the monster mash. Monster monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. It was. Yeah, so I had that kind of fun. I have a cover of that on the website, by the way. That never gets old, man. The Monster Mash does, does not get no. old. Yeah, you can always always go back to that. Like when humankind is all done, I hope they put it on that record that went into space. Did they? Is that on it? <laughs> I hope that so. Be on it? I think that's pretty much an essential of humans' yeah. musical <laughs> experience, is it not? There was something good about humanity. Listen, yeah, to yeah. you, you got to have on the golden record. Say yep. space, you got to have Vivaldi. <laughs> yeah, you got to have Abba. I guess you probably got to have Michael Bolton and then uh, the Monster Mash. Monster Mash. Yeah, yeah I think those are the four essential ones. <laughs> Before the Beatles, got to have the Monster Mash. <laughs> the who? <Right>. Exactly. <laughs> well, those guys too. Okay, okay you know, uh... I want to say this while I have you guys here because I haven't said this in a uh-huh. public setting before. But is there not like a really interesting body language similarity between Paul McCartney and and uh, President Trump. <laughs> the next time, the next time you see President Trump in a thing, uh-huh. watch him, watch him, and then immediately go and find a, a <laughs> clip of Paul McCartney being interviewed, and tell me that uh-huh. they don't have the same thing. They they do all the same mannerisms. Uh-huh. They both look completely like you can't touch me. You can't touch me. <laughs> Paul McCartney's been saying that for like 40 years, that nobody can touch him, ever since John Lennon became the best one. Yeah. Ever since that, he's been like, no, no, I'm good. You can have, you can all think what you want about John, but I'm fine. I know I'm the best. 
I don't know. You've never I'm seen Trump to... and McCartney together before. Either. Somebody's got to do a side by side thing of them. Split screen thing. <laughs> Can you guys get on that? I would really appreciate I will, it. I will, yeah, we'll definitely look on into that. Right after the show, exactly. So, also, I, I do have to ask here uh, is um, what are your thoughts on uh, um, Hannibal possibly coming back? Well, those those fanables, sure, they think it can happen. Um, mm-hmm. I, it seems it seems to me like a long shot. I gotta say, I mean, like you said, well, I think we talked about this earlier. Maybe Netflix. Yeah, or, off off. It was off. off there, yeah, right? I think that that would be a better bet than NBC. But I don't. Mm-hmm. I know that there's all sorts of legal rights issues too, like. Mm. Some people own some part of the the canon, and other people own another part of the canon. So there's, it's. I think it's a bit of a complicated scenario, especially if you want. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, all the characters that are in the Hannibal TV show, you could get those outright, I guess. But if like you wanted Clarice, for instance, then you'd have to go mm. to a whole other group of people to acquire the rights for her, and that's a you know, it's yeah. complicated. Yeah, yeah. I was sad that we did. And get to see, you know, the Silence of the Lambs story uh, play out, you know, in this particular universe. I think that was the hope is that that was where season yeah. four would like somehow it would eventually get to Clarice, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that was the, the rumors that I was hearing at the time anyways. Yeah, it is a neat time, though, that that shows can, uh, you know, sometimes you get canceled and go right to Netflix or stuff comes back. Uh, lots of things come back now. You're, you know, um, uh, Twin Peaks comes back. You know, like twenty years later, and yeah, X Files. House. I, I don't Bill, really Bill and Grace that. is back. Yeah, X Files. Yeah, the Roseanne's coming back, and uh, yeah. you know, it's it's a weird time because that never happened, you know, before. Like some show that was canceled twenty years ago would all of a sudden come back. Well, what was interesting about the Fanable thing is that there was all there was. Um, a, a few little kids that were there and I thought I wasn't quite sure why they were there what was going on like whether, whether the parents were just dragging them along which it, which actually at this convention they were but it led to us mm-hmm. having a conversation about Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm. which is still having conventions as well and what they were saying is, is that the original fans are now parents and mm-hmm. they are introducing their children that to Buffy. Makes sense. Yeah. So now you have these clans coming to the conventions of these <laughs> the, the two generations, uh-huh. which yeah. is like a whole new thing. Yeah, we were just at a mad monster party in Charlotte. Uh, we were at a table there, and uh, we were right by the, the door, so we saw everyone coming in. And uh, there was so many little kids, you know, and they're dressed as like, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger and Jason. And, <laughs> and uh, party. it's like, it's cool in a way that I, I, I mean, I watch those movies since I was a little kid, so I, I can't really talk. But at the same time, it is it is a little strange. I think that must be the funniest thing in the world would be to see a six-year-old dressed up as, as, as <laughs> what's his name, something Kruger? Freddy Krueger? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. I yeah. think that might yeah, be the funniest pretty... thing that a person could see, wouldn't it be? <laughs> It's pretty. It's very funny. I think. Uh, I always think like because I've seen people even you know have strollers and it's like dress them up as you know as uh, it's alive or yeah uh, <laughs> uh, put some yellow cotton. That's pro- probably not a good idea. So I say this I in think, dress, but like put I yellow contacts having, in them. It, it could be 
Rosemary's baby or, you know, whatever. As a parent, you got a certain obligation to yourself to do that kind of thing with your children. You got to dress them up completely inappropriately while they're still small and can't defend themselves. <laughs> you got to put them in costumes that are just like not, they shouldn't be wearing that. Make them, make them serial killers when they're three. Right, right. I'm all you know, sorry, As a parent, you got to do that for yourself. That's your, yeah. Yeah, what, what, that's all you got. Yeah, he's my, my little chart, my, my little Charlie Manson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's the that's the gold right there. I think as a <laughs> as a parent. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, where can people find Luba? How can they follow it? Well, uh, we're we're on the festival circuit right now. So, if you're living in one of the cities that we're playing, um, then you can see it. We I, and I can't tell all of the festivals because. We're not allowed to announce the festivals until they announce. So um, I'll tell you the ones, the four that have announced right now, which are Cinequest, which we're opening this weekend on Saturday. We got four screenings at Cinequest, which is in San Jose, California. Then we're going south to Idlewild um, and playing that, uh, which is uh, southeast of Los Angeles. Uh, near Palm Springs, and then we're going to New York City for the Women's International Film and Art Festival, and we're going to be playing there, and that's, all of this actually is the first half of March, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. So that's all like from now until March 12th, I think, is uh, yeah, Women's International Film Festival, our last, our screening there is March 9th, and then we go back to Toronto for uh, the Canadian Film Festival, which is at the end of March um, or towards the end of March. Uh, and that's the last festival that we've announced to this point. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, right now, until we finish the festival circuit, you have to go to the festival. festival. You have to go to the festivals to see our film. Yeah. And if you want to find cool. out, what's that? Yeah. And if you want to find out more about the film, you can either go to our website, which is lubamovie.com, or you can go to our Facebook group, um, Luba Movie on Facebook. And uh, we're keeping that updated with all the screenings and any of the information that's pertinent so that people can find the, find where the film's playing. Very cool. Well, I appreciate coming on tonight. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a nice chat. Thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and yeah, I really guys... enjoyed Lube and hope people will check it out. Great. Are you guys seeing anything else at Cinequest? Um, well, we're in Massachusetts. Oh, you are? Oh, okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, but, so uh, got, got I, I would there? definitely be there if I could. Yeah, uh, right. when we have, well, actually, uh, Buff is coming up, the Boston Underground Film Festival. That's coming up at the end of March. That'll be a good time. Oh, good. Right on. Well, enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, that's great to have you on, and uh, yeah. continued success. Yeah, thank you very much. Great talking with you guys. All right, thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.
the station of decapitation without your head. I'm still Nasty Neil. That would make me terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And we're joined by Kristen West, and she's in a bunch of movies we're going to talk about. Very cool to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on your show. Our Very pleasure. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. And so it just happens that just a couple weeks ago, Troy and I were in Charlotte, and uh, we filmed a part in uh, uh, Cool as Hell 2, which is a James Balsamo movie. I get my head ripped off by a, by Krampus. And Kristen here <laughs> is in a James Balsamo movie coming out, The Lich. That is true. And I am a special girl in The Lich because I play James's wife in The Lich. Oh, His really? ex-wife, actually. Yes. <laughs> I'm a very special lady. I love working with James. Yeah, he's a good guy. But I assume that the, if, if you're playing his ex-wife, you just you're like that's just enough puns. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> well, you know, J- you know, the, when you work with James, the puns come uh-huh. at you so rapidly, it's hard to really <laughs> fully take in their grandeur. But what James, what James is the king of is he's the king of delivery. He he really tries to sell those bad jokes so hard. <laughs> And he does uh-huh. such a great job most of the time, but you can't always remember him. But you remember what you remember is his face when he's telling you these these very regrettable puns, <laughs> <laughs> which makes it very endearing. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So how long did oh, you totally how true. long have you known James? Um, about a year, I would think. Um, I'm not sure quite when he moved to Los Angeles, but I met him shortly after. Uh, he moved to Los Angeles. Of course, we have a mutual friend, Genevieve Rossi, and um, Genevieve and I have the same manager, and now James has the same manager, and I met James. I, I auditioned for his movie. That's how I met him. I auditioned for another part in The Lich, and then um, he called um, my manager back and said, I really like Kristen. Um, and I want to work with her. And then he called me up a few, I guess maybe a month or two later. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm playing his ex-wife in his movie. It was, it was quite fun actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Sheila, uh, besides being James ex-wife, uh, in the movie, uh, what else is about this character we, we can know about? <laughs> well, James Without spoiling is so creative. It, I guess. Well, uh-huh. James is so creative. I call him the Christopher Guest of horror. When you work <laughs> with James, you you are you never know. You know, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And <laughs> so he really is a great director for actors who can really improv, and he trusts the creativity of the actor to make choices. So. Sheila, the character, is very bitter, and we do have a child uh, played by the wonderful uh, teen screen queen, Rory Ogden. Look her up if you don't know who she is. She is she is an amazing kid. Um, really, uh, she's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the genre very soon. She is She's amazingly talented. So um, J- James and I do have a child together in this hypothetical lich universe. And let me just say, I, it's the first time I've used a rolling pin as a weapon in a horror film. And I think that's about all I can safely say because there is photo, you know, photo documentation of me wielding 
a rolling uh-huh. pin, which was exciting. Yeah. Well, the first time you said use it as a weapon, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, you said first time using it as a weapon in a movie. Does that mean you've <laughs> ever used one as a weapon in, in, in reality? Oh well, you know, a girl has to have her secrets. <laughs> 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 no, but I mean, I think I, I think many women, if you if you're like using a rolling pin, you know, to roll out biscuits, or you're rolling out cookies, and, and you're in a you're having a particularly stressful or a hard time. I think the only time I actually ever use a rolling pin is during the holidays. Cause otherwise I'm just too lazy, but <laughs> you know, you know, you're like, first of all, when you, you know, actors have to have a visceral connection to what they're doing. Right. So the first thing with the rolling pin is that sort of grading along that hard surface. And that is like this tension build and release, which is really exciting and gratifying. And then there's this idea that you could wax someone with it which is also exciting. But, you know, a woman who's angry enough could weaponize a purse if she really got pissed off enough. So you don't want piss off ladies. (laughs) That's good advice, I I think. I agree, I agree. uh, Genevieve Ross, you mentioned she's uh, she was on the show recently. And uh, did you get to, I know she's in, in the lich. Did you guys have any scenes together? We did not have any scenes together, but, you know, Genevieve is making huge waves in the indie horror world. I actually went with her to Action on Film Film Festival, which was in Las Vegas in August. And she and I, it was, it was kind of a, a horror house party in Las Vegas this past August. We went to Action on Film. I had uh, Seeking Valentina at action on film and she had uh, attack of the killer chickens, the uh, short <laughs> version of it um, at, at action on film. And so we all rented a house in Las Vegas, uh, uh, me, uh, her army, Nasseri, the director of seeking Valentina and a uh, uh, horror manager, Matt Chasen. And we just stayed at this great house in Las Vegas and had a blast at the film festival. She's got a really wonderful, vibrant personality. She's so passionate about horror. It's inspiring just to listen to her talk about who she's worked with, what she's working on. Mm-hmm. Her life is one great big adventure. And I was so happy to, to meet her and, and have that film festival experience with her. Yeah. And she was great on the show and I'm really looking forward to uh attack of the killer chickens. Just the name alone is, uh, it's pretty awesome. Well, I got a private screening of it in Las Vegas because I kept missing it at the actual festival. But it is a hoot and a holler. It's it's a horror comedy, just like James mm-hmm. makes. Um, and she's got she's got an interesting voice in in horror that I think is going to really um, uh, work well for her. I mean, it's it's amazing what creativity people have, and that's one of the exciting parts about being in horror is people really, really are allowed to push edges. And James and Genevieve really do that um, with the films that they have going out right now. Yeah, yeah. Have you were you always a horror movie fan? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I should have been. <laughs> I should have been. I grew up in a haunted house. Like, like my my family. Oh. Like, seriously, I have my own version of the House of Usher in my family history. Like. Like my family lived in the same place for a hundred years, and I grew up in a sort of a haunted house that had to be exercised a few times. 
And I should have, you know, I should have been maybe a little bit more of a rabbit horror fan as a kid, but I really grew into it um, once I got out of acting school. And I really appreciated it more once I started acting in the horror genre, the, the emotions that you have to conjure and the, and the reactions of how visceral um, the horror genre is to acting. Cause they don't really teach you that in acting school. So I've come to appreciate horror more and more and more. Of course, when I was in film school, uh, I was, um, you know, we studied Hitchcock of, you know, you, that was a whole week of class in, in, in film history class. And, mm-hmm. You know, I, from there, I, I have branched out into it. It's been exciting for me. Mm-hmm. So what kind of movies were you were you into that made you want to uh, get into movies? Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, my favorite movie of all time is Amadeus. Um, mm-hmm. And that, the reason I like Amadeus so much was because I think, you know, Amadeus, of course, is about the conflict between Salieri and Mozart. But it's also mostly about Salieri's conflict with himself and his perceived conflict with God. And I think what people in the arts get trapped in is, is you know, just going and doing the work to make money and maybe, maybe succumbing to some mediocrity or really embracing their brilliance. And that's, I love the theme of that film a lot. Um, I, I I like weird Criterion Collection films like um, Haxon. That was, you know, that that older movie about witchcraft uh-huh. oh, yeah. was just fascinating to me. I really liked Haxon. I really liked Jodorowsky. That's something James and I actually have in common. We talked, I think, one of the last conversations I had with him was about mm-hmm. Jodorowsky and the Holy Mountain and and just the, the world of Jodorowsky. Um, mm-hmm. So my tastes are eclectic. I think the best movies are the movies that hit you in the heart and hit you in the gut. Personally, it doesn't matter if it's a musical or if it's a drama or if it's a James uh, Balsamo film. Exactly. Uh, I said that on the show to me, uh, some people really get wrapped up in, in genre, which I never, I just don't really understand. Like uh, to me, if I like the movie, I like the movie. It doesn't really matter if it's a horror movie or science fiction, or I never get the arguments of people like, uh, for instance, alien, sci-fi, or horror. It's like, what difference does it make? Does, does it mean you like the movie uh, more or less if it's horror and not sci-fi? It seems kind of just silly to me. Well, if you think about it, our whole lives are a mix of genres. Like, if you mm-hmm. were with me yesterday, if you were just hanging out with me yesterday, then seriously, we would have had a procedural cop drama going on, <laughs> you know, and, you know, <laughs> interrogating and trying to figure out who committed the crime and whatever. But, you know, maybe tonight it's, it's, it's a romantic movie. And maybe tomorrow, because according to the weather report, it's going to be raining cats and dogs in L.A. tomorrow. Perhaps tomorrow it's a, you know, a, a cataclysm movie, like the last day of the world, because people in L.A. don't know how to drive in the rain. So your whole life is is not a single single genre, and I think it's okay to have eclectic taste. And I think one of the most fascinating things is when people who mostly work in the horror genre really genre bend, and they genre blend. And that's um, what Armin Maseri did in Seeking Valentina. Was he he actually Seeking Valentina is a thriller with horror elements and very Lynchian, uh, you know, very much. Um, has the tone of a David Lynch movie, except it's a short film. So 
I find all of that fascinating, and I think there's more to chew on when you when you stretch and bend that genre the way some of our our up and coming you know indie horror filmmakers are doing. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I have to mention that because they have an amazing T-shirt for uh, the Lich, but from Atomic Cotton. Uh, so you guys can uh, get that. I saw it in person when I saw James at uh, in Charlotte. And uh, so, what did you think of, of of the design for the T-shirt? Oh, that is so wicked cool. I mean, that's Instagrammable cool. I took <laughs> 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 the photo and put it up. No, seriously, no. James has such great promo art, and he has such a great disability. I agree. And and uh, the people he works with to create this stuff, it's just really cool. No, I loved it. It was it was so on Instagram. Five minutes later, the minute I saw it, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> have you got yourself one yet? I need to. I need to hunt James down. I need to. Mm-hmm. I need to find him and get a shirt from him. But I would totally get a shirt from him. I'm actually going to see him in about a week and a half. I have this little side project now, um, where um, I don't know if you know this. Have you? You've talked to Pat Barnett recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. He was just on last week. Did he talk to you about his singing? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we talked. I, I listened to some of it. It's very good. Yeah. That was pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this is talk about genre bending. I mean, here he is. He's, he's been in the, in the Star Trek franchise. He's, you know, in the coffin movies. And, but this little known fact about him is he has this beautiful crooner voice. So one of the things I do um, for Domain of Horror, actually, is um, during Pat's concerts, um, we're starting to go to uh, Pat's concerts, uh, different people in the horror genre, to come out and support Pat. And we take interviews, and I do this. It's called Horror Talk with Kristen West. And they're little five-minute, maybe ten-minute interviews. And we've had Deborah Lamb on, and we've had Don Noel on. And and so um, I've been doing that as a side project and just, you know, keeping people abreast of what's happening in the horror community and, and just showing people different sides of, of horror stars that they may not know about beyond the, you know, the chopping and the dismembering and the spooking and haunting and <laughs> uh, <laughs> all of yeah. that fun stuff. Uh, yeah. Oddly enough, right before uh, the show tonight, I was looking you up on, on uh, YouTube for, you know, a little something unusual to talk about. And I found the one with you and Deborah Lamb. And I was like, this is so weird because it just had Deborah Lamb on the show and then Kristen's coming on the show tonight and then I saw Pat pop up and I was like well he was just on the show last week I was like it was, it was just kind of weird to see everyone pop up on the on the same video we're circling you we're closing in on you no it's like well you know people in horror are it's a small world Hollywood is a small world I mean we're in LA we're in Los Angeles this huge mega city and but really the people that are working in horror it's a very small tight knit and for the most part supportive community people are very welcoming and it's mm-hmm. great when you can make friends and work with friends and i consider deborah a friend i consider pat a friend i consider pretty much everybody i interview a friend and now you're a friend too so oh very, very nice i appreciate that's that. awesome oh. <laughs> so and james of course the next, is a friend. next time i make okay. yeah yeah he's a man. <laughs> But yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, that was very fun. And by the way, how can people find that? Um, how can people find Horror Talk? Um, we post it mm-hmm. on uh, a Domain of Horror on Facebook. If you just type in Domain of Horror, 
Um, and then, of course, it'll be on YouTube. On my, it just type Kristen K R I S T I N. Uh, my last name is West on YouTube. You'll see me, um, my my blondness. <laughs> just click on the button, and there's a playlist of horror talk as well. If you don't want to see it on video, we have a audio only version of it on Podomatic and iTunes. Mm-hmm. Horror talk with mm-hmm. Kristen West. The yeah. next one will be out. I imagine around um march 20th or so um the net the start we we do we do a few at a time we release one uh, we release some kind of in pockets <laughs> for lack right. of a better word um but um i imagine around march 20th the next uh next one in the series will be out um i, I have uh, james of course confirmed for that one james balsamo um i have um chef nikki guzman who um, also is um, active in the horror community, uh, confirmed for that. Rena Riffle from Mulholland Drive also confirmed. Oh, nice. And and, um, I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, uh, Tony Moran. Oh, very good. Yeah, very excited. And we, I mean, it's it's just a fun experience, you know, for everybody. And I like to do that and, and talk about what people are up to. Cause sometimes, you know, sometimes we don't have time to, to talk about stuff the way we would want to. And, uh, and I think, you know, going out to the concert, supporting Pat and having a relaxed environment to do it in is pretty cool. And, and um, it was fun. Deborah, uh, she was fantastic. She was my first actual interview for Horror Talk. So I, I owe her a debt of gratitude. She was, a, she was my, my guinea pig. <laughs> so I appreciate her very much. And, and she was yeah. so uh, gracious and awesome to clue us in about her, her uh, English adventure, which she's on right now, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was super nice when we had her on uh, a few weeks ago. Just a really nice person. So uh, the Lich, uh, how about David Stein as the Lich? Uh, did, you, did you get to work with the Lich himself? I did but not in the way you would think. Okay. So, (laughs) so, so this is the relationship. James and I, I consider James a complete friend. Like, so cool. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, like once every three to four weeks, I'll get a Facebook message from James. And I'll be like, he'll be like, what are you doing tomorrow? (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm free. What do you need? Can you come help out? (laughs) So occasionally I've come on his set two or three times when I wasn't acting and just helped him with logistical stuff, um, with, with managing certain, certain things. And I've met him and, and, uh, uh, the lich, he's not a monster in real life. He's a super cool guy. Uh, All right. All right. All right. Uh Uh-huh. So it is so made I, that's, makeup. They didn't just find someone who, who was a real life witch. Well, you know what? Here's the thing: is that to really, and I've done, I've done fantastical creatures, not necessarily mm-hmm. full on monsters in my past, but it's a special skill to play anyone, any character that's heavy prosthetics or heavy makeup. And those mm-hmm. actors never get enough credit. And I think the biggest example of this right now is Doug Jones in The Shape of Water. He's not nominated for an Oscar, and he's in the most 
Oscar-nominated film of the year, and he played the creature. I mean, that's an amazing amount of work in the chair, sitting there, having your face fucked with, having your hair fucked with, and then to carry the weight of all of those molds and prosthetics and makeup, and to do that day after day is a lot of work. So I always have tremendous um, admiration for, for the men and women who play the monsters in our movies, because I don't think they get enough credit for what they do, because because people don't necessarily identify them as the actor. They only see the creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems well, like but, a fair point, because he, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and he's got to emote all that, you know, just through his body language and stuff in the movie. Right. No, and that's very hard. And above and beyond that, I would argue a lot of times when you're taking acting for the camera, it's very eye intensive. Um, you know, what, what's coming through on your eyes, what's coming in in the subtle movements of your facial musculature. But, you know, if you're covered in, you know, goop, I hate, I, I don't know what the proper term is. I'm pro- but, I mean, if you're covered in a mask. <laughs> I think that is the proper term. It is yeah. the proper term. So if you're covered in a mask, like, like like you said, you have to rely on the body movements, but the body movements have to also have a certain subtlety and finesse about them. Oh, yeah. That really, really not everybody is capable of achieving. So I have so much, um, so much admiration uh, for them. And I, I know sitting with uh, Dave, he was super cool and – um, really, really, really um, lovely person to be around. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Troy and I grew up, uh, well, you, you probably didn't know this, uh, Troy and I are brothers, and uh, we grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons, so we knew what a lich was from from d <laughs> is a very powerful undead character. So did you know what a lich was before uh, being in the lich? Yes and no. Like it's one of those. Uh-huh. It was one of those monsters, like creatures. I'm like that sounds familiar. <laughs> and then I had to look it up. It was sort of like it was there in my awareness, but not uh-huh. quite. So yeah, I did have to look it up. And you know, it's funny that the lich and the way it sounds when you say it, it sounds so icky. Like when I tell people, you know, when people are like, so what do you you have going on? I'm like, well, the lich is in post-production. The lich? (laughs) Automatically, the lich. It's one of those titles, like, you have to repeat because it sounds, I mean, it's it's a great horror movie title because it sounds icky. (laughs) Sure. Uh It automatically gets you right there, yeah. (laughs) So uh, so the lich, that's coming up. But how about uh, Hell's Kitty? Now... Maybe I shouldn't. Uh, I hate to ask. Are you in the feature version of Hell's Kitty? I'm not sure. Um, I know that. Uh, I'm not sure. I I saw a screening of it. Um, I want to say maybe a year and a half ago at a uh, grown a uh, man's Chinese theater when it was still in its web series form. So I'm not entirely sure, but it was so fun to work on. That was like the Scream Queen sorority day in Long Beach. I mean, there was probably like 30 <laughs> of us hanging out in a cemetery. And it was nice weather. And we were all, some of us knew each other. And some of us had only heard about each other. So it was really great fun. I And of course, I got to work with so many people that I admire. Chanel Ryan was there. And I, I worked with her on Circus of the Dead. 
um, um, Max Waza was there. I've met her a few times. She's always lovely. And so many of uh, uh, Sarah Barrett was there. And of course, Sarah Barrett and I are, are good friends. And, and I always love working with Sarah. And she's such a bright and fun personality. And yeah, I got to meet a lot of great screen queens. And I met Victoria uh, Demare, of mm-hmm. course, and she was great too. So it was fun. And everybody was so nice and collegial. And I was just so happy to have the opportunity. And I mean, that's just kind of a fun thing is just hanging out in a cemetery with 30 other girls, just kind of shooting a movie, <laughs> well, shooting a web series. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've seen the movie and I, I know that scene. And so I will say you actually, you are in the movie then. Yes. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, you can't control any of that as an actor. It's one of the things is it's one of the things you can shoot a great scene. I actually had a friend, kind of dealing with this right now. He actually had a a um a scene in a um a um procedural drama and he actually ended up on the cutting room floor. And it's never a reflection of you as an actor. Um for mm. the most part it's usually just a reflection of, oh, they couldn't make their runtime, um, which happens because everything has to happen in a certain mm-hmm. time and space. So yeah, I I'm so glad and and it, it it was a cool project to work on and 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 you know, it was great to meet all those great ladies. Yeah. It's it was very fun. <clears throat> I liked it a lot and uh uh it's cool cuz if you're obviously if you're a horror movie fan watching you're going to see all these cameos of people you know and and uh, really some of them are hilarious. Uh I thought the actually the speaker Doug Jones, Doug Jones and Bill Oberst is uh as a priest, that was probably my uh, my favorite part of uh, of of the web series and the movie. Oh yeah, that's just great. Yeah, it was very fun. Yeah, that that that's funny. I I I I remember seeing their scene in the web series, and they did such a good job, and they had such good chemistry together. Yeah, and I mean they yeah, looked, built, I mean, they looked cute going, as sorry. priests. I mean they they were rocking they did. as priests. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yeah, and well, neither of them. When, do you see his priest very much? I don't know. If, I know Bill has played like cult heads, and but uh-huh. I don't think either of them have actually played a real bona fide priest. And I remember I was standing in the in the graveyard cemetery. Actually, is the proper term. But I was standing in the cemetery in Long Beach, and here's you know just Kelly Maroney kind of floating past and in <laughs> full on witch garb, and it's like oh yeah, you know, we're we're horror people. We do this. It's a natural part of life. <laughs> That's very cool, but yeah, it was uh, actually when we had Bill on, he said that he would like to do a spinoff of of him and Doug Jones. It's just like a like a instead of a buddy cop movie, be a buddy priest movie. I would totally see that. Oh my god, I think I could find something for him. Oh my god, I need to talk to Bill <laughs> about this. I so when I see Bill again, I I may have a buddy priest concept for him. I do I do screenwrite too, and I do produce as well. Oh my goodness! Oh, this is like my spine is tingling right now with delight because I can so see this working. So, Bill, if you're listening, mm-hmm. you got my digits, babe. Call me or email me. Very cool. Uh, I'm curious now. I would like to see this. It was good because usually, if you see a priest pop up in a movie in the last like ten or twelve years automatically like they're either going to be like a demon or a pedophile or, or something horrible but it was nice to see that they were just you know they were kind of bumbling but they were they were good guys anyway 
it's it's interesting the the um social fascination we have on exorcism in particular mm-hmm. and in fact um about i would say 5 days ago pope francis actually said that the catholic church needs more exorcists because mm. according to pope francis there are 500,000 people in italy who are waiting to have an exorcism that they're wow. like backlog with exorcism yeah so i mean it, yeah it's kind of funny to to joke about it but for many people mm-hmm. this is a real phenomenon that has to be dealt with and there the vatican is like putting money into exorcism schools and symposiums right now in sicily i mean this is wild real actual news but you are so right about your point is that we do kind of keep um priests and certain you know for better or worse i not exactly genre but narrative boxes and it was fun to see bill and bill and doug um just just uh uh, playing some exorcists, doing their doing their daily work. It was interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, priest, clown, Santa Claus. You know they're bad news if you see them in a movie. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, a good point. Yeah, <laughs> that's what should be. It should be a, a, a priest, Santa Claus, and a and a clown that are actually heroes. That would be a good movie too. The, that would, that would totally shocking. be a good yeah. movie. That, <laughs> yeah, you would never. Yeah, make those the red herring characters before <laughs> yeah. the little kids right. are all terrified immediately. Yeah, and like, they turn out to be the that. heroes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, 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 part of me wishes this were video right now because my eyes are like bulging <laughs> out of my head. And I'm staring at my ceiling, going, "Why didn't I think of this before?" <laughs> Oh my gosh! I'm gonna have to like write something and then maybe give you a producing credit or something. All right, all right. No, but seriously, but there is so much of yeah. There's so much of Christmas narrative that's so creepy, even above the above and beyond the of the Krampus narrative, which has been really Mm -hmm. popular. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I saw uh, Jason Hull's uh, Krampus the Christmas Devil uh, when it was first out in film festivals a few years ago and you know this there's this Krampus mania but there's so much of of um you know Christmas that can get really really creepy and I think people are really are starting to appreciate that even more these days Christmas is not so special and sacrosanct anymore Mm -hmm. you know you can kind of mess with it yeah there's been some Really good uh, Christmas forward, just like this last year or so. Uh, I really liked Red Christmas with D. Wallace, and uh, there was another one. Um, was it, it was all through that? Very, it was, that what it was well, that one was good too, but it was uh, I forget the, the name of it, but it was with the with like the two kids, and you kind of think it's almost like uh, kind of like a a kitty horror movie, and then it, it really turns dark. Oh, was that better? Um, watch out. Better watch out. Yeah, yeah that, that was, one was very movie. surprisingly good. Yeah, uh, it's weird. I think there's more horror movies about Christmas than there are about Halloween. <laughs> You're right. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> well, people uh, feel lonely at Christmas too. Christmas is one of those times of year that if you are not, you know, in really deck in the halls and follow la la lying you know, out of control and you don't necessarily have a family around you, it can be a very bleak and lonely time of year. Um, you know, there's statistical evidence that suggests that even 
suicides and just death in general spikes around the holidays because people mm-hmm. feel not, you know, people feel not in a community or estranged. So it can be a rough time of year. But I think, you know, one of the great things about horror movies is they are a safety valve for so many pent-up emotions that we have, whether it's anger at Christmas or any other holiday of your choosing. Um, but the <laughs> horror movies really help you to get, you know, when you're you know, sitting and watching a good horror movie and you cringe or you scream or you gasp or, or something like that, it helps you to get some of that pent-up crap out of your system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, interesting that you kind of go to his uh, horror movies, you know, later as opposed to, you know, grow up and watching them. So uh, it'd be interesting if you have a different uh, outlook on them as to someone who uh, just grew up always watching them since a little kid. Uh, you know, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say because I, I would... You know, I know people who have watched horror horror films very young, maybe even a little too young, and uh-huh. they can't. Like myself, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like they are scarred by Pet Cemetery. Um, <laughs> I won't name names, but I know a horror director who's just scarred because he watched um, <laughs> Pet Cemetery too soon for him. And so I don't have that relationship with it, but I was mm-hmm. always a very sensitive kid just very sensitive and 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 so i i i kind of had to get over that sensitivity to even watch a horror movie but there's an interesting thing with people watching horror is there's also the not only the movie and what the events of the movie that scare you but the fear of watching the horror movie and what it's going to do to you <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. i mean that's a very real thing um, I think, and and I think a lot of great directors know how to play on that as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, actually, when I was a kid, the 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 movie itself, I think, is very good magic. But the the uh, the the trailer for it was always what scared me. They did a little. It's it's uh, Anthony Hopkins, and it's uh, just just the mannequin there, the dummy, and it's just it's only it's really sure he does a little uh, like uh, poem. It always really freaked me out because I had uh, you know man the uh, ventriloquist dummy in the house and uh, just something about that I still remember that it's very scary. Yeah, I remember trailer. you hiding away like you were three or four years old at that time. Yeah, and again it was more about uh, thinking about the trailer scared me more than the movie. Oh yeah, the idea of have oh, I don't want to see that I'm gonna be freaked out. Well, one of the, I remember distinctly one of the movies I watched younger before I hit film school and had all my fancy dancy film criticism and film history classes. I did watch the exorcist pretty young and it it's, it's interesting because it did scare me. And I think one of the reasons it scared me so much was because I, I, I was raised Catholic you know, exorcism is a thing. <laughs> it is a rite of the Catholic Church. It's something that that is done. It is performed, and I I knew that the reality of it existed. I was in Catholic school at the time when I watched it, and I I was it, it affected me more because there was some there was some part of my life being reflected 
in that movie, or I could understand and sympathize with the with some of the circumstances of that movie and having you know grown up in sort of a haunted house that uh, everyone every every few years a priest would come and bless. It was sort it sort of hit me a little bit harder than some other horror movies have since, and that's not just necessarily because of my age at the time of watching it. Even though I think you know younger people are so much more likely to suspend disbelief than older, more cynical people. But really, good horror hits you in familiar places, and Hitchcock was a master of that too. What can you tell us about Spirit Room? Is it uh, what's it about? Spirit Room is an interesting short film by Adam J. Ung, and the Spirit Room is about um, a family that buys a house, and and then it is discovered that something bad happened in the house, and um, this film is very interesting because. Like Get Out, it takes a different perspective. The lead actress is a really talented um, actress. Her name is Trish Molina, and she's she's really talented and really has a great, strong character in this film. And she's um, she's uh, Asian American, and there's a taboo in Asian cultures against purchasing houses where bad things have happened. And then you get to see all sorts of drama around um, the aftermath of them buying this house. And it's very much like it out. It's a, a social commentary piece as well. So it's a very interesting short film and it's in film festivals right now. It just won an award at the Hollywood moving image film festival. It won best horror short. And I play one of the, um, uh, the ghosts in, in the house. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's very cool. What, so uh, where is it just at festivals right now? It's just at festivals you... right now. I, I'm not sure what festival it's coming up next at, <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. but it is, it is uh, actively on the film circuit. So I'm sure we'll have more as I have more dates and times. I'll update that. Um, with you and on my Facebook and my Instagram and my Twitter, because it's a really cool movie, um, really high production value. Adam is such an interesting filmmaker. He's, he's very planned and very measured and very exact. He is, I mean, he, he films things from all these different angles. Usually, usually, and I'm, I'm very much generalizing here, is you've got when you film something, you've got to get a master shot, a wide shot, <laughs> a medium shot, which is kind of waist up or hips up, and you have to get a close up. Usually, that's the way most Hollywood movies are filmed. The you know master, medium, close. He had so many different angles and 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 setups, and he's just a master of detail. And you can see it in the in the editing of the film. It's got really. Um, I, you put up the one photo of me um, as the ghost with the with that that deep red light. He really likes to play with mm-hmm. light as well and color in very interesting ways. He takes a lot of risks there because it's not necessarily the most realistic look, but it makes you feel a certain way, which is the interesting mm-hmm. part of of his filmmaking. 
And there's some great acting by the film, particularly by Trish Molina. I'm a fan of hers having worked with her. She has a strong, strong work ethic. And um, Marissa, Marissa Bay Briggs, she was great in the film. She's worked on horror titles as well. And, um, yeah, there's several great actors in the film. And, they're, you know, I'm so glad that we've got this film out in film festivals, and I'm sure it's going to win more awards as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what the, the, how long it is? Because it's short, you know, it could be a few minutes or it could be a you know, half hour or something. Oh, I see it here. I think it's actually it's twenty five minutes. So, yeah. It's twenty five minutes. Yeah, it's a twenty. Yeah, yeah. twenty five minutes, and you don't feel that. I can tell you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you sit in a short, you feel it's like longer than a feature film. You don't feel that <laughs> right. in this film. Uh-huh. I, no, I mean I'm going to be brutally honest. I've been I've been to some. Oh, I've been to a lot of film festivals. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, I've seen a lot of short films. I was a I was a judge for this uh, for. Uh, for the uh, Chicago Film Festival, I, I watched literally 150 of these things. Oh my gosh. You wow. know, um, I, I judge the Student Film Festival for the Inland Empire Media Academy in San Bernardino every year. So, you know, you can really feel those 25 minutes <laughs> if, if you're not careful. And I didn't feel the 25 minutes. Now, of course, I'm biased and love the film because I'm in it. Mm. <laughs> and and great people are in it that I love working with. But you know, hope I will. Hopefully, you'll have the chance to see it for yourself, and you can tell me on the on the download whether or not you think you felt that twenty five minutes or not. But all right, you know, no, good. you know, it's one yeah. of those things. <laughs> oh yeah, but the same could be said for you know some short stories are like that too. Yeah, like, it's only or ten you, pages or long, loop. but it's see, yeah. yeah, that's true. Then you get the reverse on certain long movies that just fly by. <laughs> Yeah, there's movies that are three hours I could watch no problem, and then there's ones, you know, you just shut off after a while. <laughs> <laughs> Along those lines, right, right. this is because uh, I, I get a lot of screeners for the show, obviously, and uh, mm-hmm. some of them you wonder, like, why were they made or not to name anybody. But then, but uh, uh, the positive side of that, I think, is when you do find something really cool, like you really appreciate uh, good movies much more. Uh, and you can overlook some things if, if there's like a lot of, like you can tell like there's a lot of heart in the movie or something about it you like. You might overlook, you know, some budgetary things. But uh, does that make you appreciate uh, the good shorts more when you're watching so many? Oh sure. I mean, of course you you appreciate a good short like you appreciate a great meal because what I mean, obviously you're not eating the physical movie, but. In the way that you 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 appreciate how the components have come together to have a singular experience, and and being both an actress and a producer, my tendency is to have two parts of my brain kind of going at once when I'm watching a film, especially if it's not necessarily a film I'm in. There's a, my acting brain going, okay, am am I in it? Am I feeling it? And then there's the producing part of my brain going, wow, that cost a good bit of money. <laughs> Or I wonder how they achieved that on their stated budget, or that was really inventive. Oh, what a you know I'm I'm cost, I look at films like that um, in in both ways constantly because it's about the whole experience of a film, and that's the one thing I think filmmakers often get in the trap of is sometimes they overprivilege one thing or two things instead of focusing on the film as a whole. You know they may they may focus so much on shooting on a red camera or a black magic camera 
But if you don't really like that well, and you don't have, you know, the mise-en-scene, the set decoration, if you don't put time in filling that frame, that's not going to do you much good. Or if you have locations that are not necessarily, I mean, they're serviceable, but they're not great, you know, then you're, it, it kind of dilutes the process. Or you may put tons of money into a camera and tons of money into art department and tons of money into costumes. But if you don't hire actors who are, are able to bring that part to life effectively, you're, you're not going to meet your goal either. So part of being a good producer, in, in my view, is making sure that the project is funded so that, that no one part of the film stands out badly. That's oh, one that thing I always, Yeah, that's one thing I always <clears throat> focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you get involved in the producing end of, uh, of movies? And uh, I mean, you do a lot of different things. You act, you produce, you edit, uh, direct. Uh, which one of those is your favorite too? Like if you had to just choose one aspect or do you just like all of them? I love all of them. I, I, I would say I start, I started acting when I was seven years old. So acting is a very deep childhood dream and place of mine. And I went to the university of Texas. My bachelor's degree is in radio TV film. And my, my last series of coursework at UT was in producing, and in particular, line producing, which is making the budgets and schedules for, for films. And I was actually mentored by the former VP of Disney, Phil Mimi, who still works from the University of Texas, right across the street uh, from uh, Warner Brothers Studio here in town. So I really learned how to um, be a producer from... Uh, him and the coursework that I took at UT. And I decided, um, you know, I went to acting school right after that. I went to um, American Academy of Dramatic Arts, uh, left after a year. And then I I really decided, and this was around the time of um, um, the writer's strike. It was a sort of a, a strange time to be in LA because all of a sudden the scripted TV shows and the scripted movie stopped and there was a glut of reality TV going on at that time um, to make up for the shortfall in scripts because the writers were striking. I said, you know what? I can make my own stuff. And so I, my first partner and my oldest partner has been Armin Nasseri and, and I used all those skills um, that I, I gained at UT to help him make Seeking Valentina and, and we're, we're working on more films right now, in fact. And so I found that for me, because acting is one of those things where you only have power pretty much over your preparation. You know, did you memorize the script before the audition? Did you get to your audition on time? And then, you know, you're going up against 100, 200, 300 other people for the same job. And you can feel a little bit disempowered by that. So producing, you're making all of the decisions pretty much. You and the director are making all the decisions that are are really important. So I felt like that was a way to really make a creative impact and feel a little bit more in control of my destiny in the arts as well. Mm-hmm. Now, you worked on some reality TV, right? Yes, I did. I, I, um, I was um, on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. 
and I met Carlton Gebbia and Yolanda uh, Foster. Bella and Gigi's mom. Bella and Gigi Hadid, that's their mom. <laughs> so they were both lovely. I have to tell you, they were they were both really sweet, really kind ladies. Um, Carlton is balls to the wall. She is blunt. She is sassy. She knows what she, knows what she wants. She's not afraid of, of letting you know what she wants. And I really admire her for that. And Yolanda is just a, a class act. And it was it was fun to get to meet them and to to be on the show with them. Yes. So you were just on the show. Did you do any work like uh, producing or directing, or writing, or anything or crew of any kind? No. Um, what what had happened was that um, Carlton is a a Wiccan. She is a she she is a that is her religion. She is a Wiccan, mm-hmm. and one of the, that was often used against her in the show. By other by the other housewives, so they devoted an episode um, to Carlton's uh, spirituality, so that she could kind of explain herself and her beliefs in her own words. And um, I actually got invited to be on the show because Carlton uh, was a, uh, a frequent visitor at the store in West Hollywood that that I knew of, and that. Um, the store owner didn't want to appear on camera. She was camera shy. So she so they asked me if I could uh, take uh, Carlton through the store with Yolanda uh, uh, for Real Housewives. I said, yeah, I'd be honored to. Mm-hmm. So, oh, cool. um, yeah, so it was an interesting episode um, for to do and, it, and really to hear Carlton in her own words and, and to meet Yolanda and, 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 you know, it's it's interesting. You never quite envision that as part of your life, right? right. Um, you know, I and I I was a Real Housewives. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as invested as some people are in the series. But I mean, I knew of it. It's a cultural force. I would watch it from time to time, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, here, here comes Carlton, and you're talk, talking to her. You know, just like you and I are pretty much talking right now. It was interesting. <laughs> uh, when you talked about uh, her being a Wiccan, um, is that anything uh, you were interested in at all? You know, I, I, L.A. is like this alternative spirituality mega center. I have hung out with with yogic gurus. I have hung out with Wiccans. I have hung out with uh, people that just practice uh, uh, um, meditation. So I, I've been in around a lot of different spiritual communities and being an actress in the horror genre, you kind of have to know some of that stuff. If you want to play a witch, you need to know what, what witches do and, and how they do it and why. So, I mean, I've had to read, you know, magic spell books and, and learn about that. And I've had to read about, um, you know, things about ghosts. So I think to really work in the genre, especially if you're working on projects that are fantastical in nature, you know, what is a lich? <laughs> what is this? What right. is that? You know, to give that some sort of truth and veracity, you have to have an intellectual curiosity. And one of the things is um, besides, is that you have to not be afraid necessarily 
of of knowing. And one of the things about the way that that witchcraft, Wicca, paganism, neo-paganism, whatever you want to call it, is portrayed as sometimes it's sort of hokey and sort of corny. But, you know, this is something that many people practice and is a very real to them and very real part of their lives. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, you, you know, a, a good actor, a good actress, and a good screenwriter and a good director will really try and find the truth of those people's lives in, in those circumstances. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, and I developed, you know, such a, a curiosity about this that people would bring me their screenplays about this topic, you know, anything around um, witchcraft, um, Wicca, paganism. And I would, <laughs> I, I, I was doing a little bit of script doctoring for a while for a, a director that had a, a script about the, um, the uh, Salem witch trials. And we really had to mm-hmm. fact check some of that stuff because the way the witch trials panned out in Europe was very different from the way they panned out in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you really, one of those things is as an actor, you have to be curious because if you're not curious and you make assumptions about people and their motivations, you're going to get very one-dimensional, untruthful acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this real quick, a couple years ago for Halloween, I uh, went on a uh, a walking tour in Salem, which was uh, very interesting. Went to all, mm-hmm. all the, the graveyard cemeteries, as you say. And uh, just like uh, for people, uh, most people think that witches were burned at the stake, but uh, none of them were burned in, in Salem. They were all hung or pressed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, there's a, you know, like I said, there's a lot of things you, you people just assume, but it's not necessarily true. Right. And... You know, and there was a practical consideration too, because I was, you know, I, I was looking at the script from a producer's lens, and I was looking at it from a from a more of a a lens of what's actable and what's not. And you know, this particular person had put some burning in there that was just not factually, historically holding up. I said, you know, the burning, first of all, is going to be expensive. Second of all, it's it's really not based in history at least stateside. Now, Europe's a different story. Um, mm-hmm. But, no, I think you have to really... Um, one of the things that we have in the culture is that we, we need to invest more time in appreciating history. And some things that happened in history were truly awful and regrettable. And mm-hmm. there is... But we can still learn from them as well. And, and that's, that's one of the things that I, I feel lucky is that I'm constantly learning about something. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's, it's uh, or not even fun, but it's interesting to, to learn about new things. Mm-hmm. Fun's a weird word. So uh, how can you find uh, Kristen West on, online? How can you find you? Um, my website is Kristen West, K-R-I-S-T-I-N West, uh, W-E-S-T dot net. That's my homepage. On Twitter, I'm at the Kristen West. Instagram at the Kristen West. And Facebook, um, my page is Kristen West Actress, and you can find me there. And just type in Kristen West on IMDb as well if you're curious about what I've worked on. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, 
That's where you find uh, it. <laughs> very, <laughs> very good. Uh, anything uh, interesting coming up that we didn't talk about? Uh, well, we talked about um, horror talk. So I think pretty much we got it all all pinned down. Um, I do co-host a wonderful show on LA Talk Radio called What Women Want. Now this is not a uh, this is not a horror show. Sure. <laughs> it is about it is um it is geared towards women and obviously from the title, but it's about what All women right. want in life, their hopes, their dreams. We've had some great people on the show. Um, we've had Jenna Wolf, the former Today Show anchor. We've had Steve Dorf, Grammy-winning songwriter. Uh, Amy Newmark from Chicken Soup for the Soul. Um, she's a publisher of that book series. And uh, we just had Leslie Zemeckis on yesterday. And she was amazing, Leslie Zemeckis, wife of Robert Zemeckis. She has her own documentary film coming out, um, Mabel, Mabel, Tiger Trainer. So um, if you're interested, uh, we've had Bill Oberst on the show a few times, and we've had horror people on the show uh, come on as well for various uh, film festivals. So we run the gamut of anything that women would want to talk about. And honestly, I've had confessions from men about the show who listen secretly. <laughs> um, they say, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not all, all, all girl stuff that a man can listen uh -huh. to the show and, and uh, enjoy the show as well. So all it's right. on latalkradio.com. Yeah. It streams live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific. And there's also replays of it available on LA Talk Radio, iTunes, Google Play. And we also have a YouTube channel. If you um, type in my co-host name, her name is Judy Goss, G-O-S-S, you'll see the YouTube channel. And we have organized playlists of all of our latest and greatest episodes. Very cool. And uh, and like you said, that uh, men can listen to it. I, I do like other things besides horror, so... Uh, it doesn't have to be horror based for, for, for me, for me to watch it or enjoy it as well. Right. And some of the conversations though, inevitably steer towards things that, you know, make you go, ah! you know how I talked about how the lich, you have a visceral reaction. To right. Right. The lich. Uh -huh. Sometimes stuff comes up and it's important to talk about it. And, and you never know, like I said, you never know what, what's going to turn up in people's lives. And we have great guests on that show, like you have on your show. And it's always, it, it's a conversation just like this. It's not a question or answer. It's not necessarily yeah. like broadcast. It's not the view. <laughs> right. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's got its own sort of unique vibe and we're really excited to have our guests and, and, mm -hmm. and talk to them. And I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. I've been doing it Very for cool. a little over a year now. Oh, well, excellent. Well, I hope you, uh, is, how many, how many nights is it on? It's on Wednesday nights Wednesday uh, at night. 6 p.m. Pacific, but you can pretty much catch it anytime because, um, latalkradio.com archives all the episodes and they're also on iTunes and Google play and YouTube. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, I appreciate coming on. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you. Well, thank you so much, Neil and Troy for having me. I, always love to dish on James and all my other friends in the world. So, uh -huh. so I, 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 I'm sure a lot of people's ears are burning this evening and I really appreciate the opportunity and, and you all have the best fans, by the way, I, I, well, thank I, you. I, I appreciate so much love on Twitter 
and Facebook from, from your fans. You have the best fans. Y'all are really lucky. So, so thank you everybody who is listening tonight. Y'all are the best. Yeah. Very cool. Honestly, I do. We do really appreciate the, the community and it's a big part of doing the show. We have a lot of fun, like around Christmas time, we do secret Satan and people send in <laughs> gifts. So then I wrap them up and resend them out. And it's just a lot of things like that. It's a, uh, uh that's part of the fun of doing the show is uh you know and then i get to meet a lot of them at the at the conventions and uh you know it's been great so i'm glad they well that they nice sounds awesome be sure to hit me up uh, around christmas time all right um, well we want you yes, a part of I'm, the secret state yes please <laughs> all right that's definitely well i'll remember yeah it's a lot of fun all right and we'll love to have you back sometime Awesome. I would love that. You all are, are too cool for school. You have a great night. You as well.
All right, we're back here once again at the station of decapitation without your head. And once again, I'm still Nasty Neil. And I remain terrible, Troy. Yeah, and I want people to know this. Oh. Uh, well, first of all, a huge thanks to both our guests, Vladimir and Kristen, uh, both great guests on the show, and our okay. new music of the month, uh, Deadite. So uh, very uh, cool to have them on here. I hope people check out the music of the month's you know, Facebook pages, their websites. At the very least, give them some love and give them a like on Facebook. If you like the stuff, you know, buy a CD or whatnot. But uh, I want to, I want to mention this, Troy, because I know you're a big fan, uh, as well as I am. Volumes of Blood, the card game, officially launched today, so you can buy it. Oh no, kidding! That's awesome. That's great mm-hmm. news. Yeah, Troy and I played it uh, several times. I played it with uh, Jason, and uh, yep. it's just uh, it's a really fun game. It is definitely like a, a cool card game. Yeah. Wish them all the best. You're- yeah, if you're a horror movie fan, which I assume you are if you're listening, uh, you're putting together like a horror movie scene. So you got killers and where they're going to kill the people and victims and weapons. And then and then it's got a lot of stuff like added to it, like because uh, it's a movie. So like bad things can go wrong. Like it's got bad lighting. You could you mm-hmm. know play that on somebody or bad acting. And it's just a really fun game. And I'm familiar with the movie, so I know the characters. And I don't think Troy is, and he enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, I, I don't speak for you, but I think you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. The characters. Yep, I, I think I probably enjoyed it just as much. Yeah. So, uh, and it's definitely, uh, I could see that game really opening up, uh, you know, for extensions and stuff. Yeah, so, me too. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a good, a good time. So uh, I would highly recommend it. I played it with Troy, the two of us, and we had a good time, and then, in Kentucky, played with Jason and uh, and his buddies, and so the four of us, and uh, we had a good time there too. So, oh, so it, it, it lends itself to multiplayer too, then. Yeah, yeah. Good and way it's kind of fun with the multiplayer is because then you can attack who you want. You know, like oh, if someone okay. well, and you can like you know. Uh, so I think the multiplayer games it, it goes on a little longer because mm-hmm. you know when people want to wrap up then you have a, you have a chance to you know mess with them. Oh, and a whole peep a, bu- a whole bunch of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's That's sweet. pretty awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if you just don't uh, like somebody. Right. That's right. Yeah. So like, um, oh my god, I gotta get that Jason Mitten. That's right. He just <laughs> seems like an evil kind of guy. <laughs> exactly. But no, I love Jason, and uh, please let's check out the watching movies uh, section on Without Your Head. Uh, very successful. Uh, 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 you know, these these get quoted a lot now on like uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and shared all around by uh, uh, the the you know, the directors and the stars of the movie. And Jason's very he's very very fair, and he's very honest. So if uh, he doesn't like a movie, he says it. But uh, he always, um, you know, he'll say what he liked about it or what yep. you know he wants to say this blows or something unless it's yeah. very very bad he's like the mills lane of uh of movie critics exactly remember referee mills so lane oh yeah of course yeah yep. that's he's him the man. so uh up there now it's a bunch of stuff but for recent stuff we got a hell's kitty review uh a red eye from uh we had a bunch, bunch of guests from hell's kitty and red eye on the show the mm. terrible two uh, the Lullaby, which we're going to have a guest coming up uh, soon. Uh, uh, watching the Light. I mean, uh, Hide in the Light, sorry. Hellraiser Judgment. Uh, Day of the Dead Bloodline. Cruel Summer. 
Coffin and Coffin 2. Nice. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely say too. I always look forward to his reviews, even even the ones that I don't agree with. You yeah. know, completely yeah, like I'll, I don't agree. I'll, yeah, I will definitely like uh, you know make it a point to read the review. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I want to say actually Hellraiser Judgment. I know I know you didn't get to see, it, but I just want to do a quick review of it. Um, I really like the opening. Uh huh. Um, it was, uh, did it go down definitely a different take? Yeah, honestly, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, I like the, it's a definitely different take on the Cenobites and really kind of what their purpose is and what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they really more in a way, cause it, in this one, it's not really about people, um, calling them, you uh-huh. know, it's more about they're there to, to judge. And then, um, and then dole out punishment. Oh, okay. So, so, um, I think it does kind of go back to the original Cenobites in a way where they're not evil. Cause I don't think in the original Hellraiser, they're evil. They're called upon. They do these things. And this one, I think they're more of the, the judge and the jury and the executioner of hell. Oh, so, okay. you know, people are taken there, then, uh, they're judged on their crimes. And then, and then, uh, if they're, guilty it's set up so it's very strange it's in a house and uh and tonicliffe who he had on the show mm-hmm. uh years ago it was a great interview he yep. actually plays one of the characters and then he's one of the highlights of the movie and, and our boy is in it um john gulag oh my goodness that's awesome and he so he pops up he's very gross and creepy and <laughs> it's a small role but i totally love it so that's the stuff perfect, in the house man. i really like it is, yeah. Because like if he was on the show, just the way you said that, I like the concept. Yeah, I really like the concept. I like the new ideas in it. Um, Pinhead's barely in it, which I, honestly, Pinhead's barely in the first movie. In fact, I yeah. believe he has less. He has eight minutes of screen time in the original movie. And this one, he has fifteen. So, oh no, kidding! I didn't know that. Yeah, I think really only part three is he really heavily. Uh, scene in the movie, which I don't even like that movie. <laughs> um, the new guy who plays Pinhead. I'll be honest; he's not he's not very good. Oh he's no, much much better than the guy I played him in Bloodline. So, oh, but, there was uh, a different. I see. I didn't even know that that there was a different guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, this guy's much better than him, but I think part of it is they kind of play with his voice. Uh huh. Kind of, I don't know. It doesn't quite fit. I don't think he's terrible, but uh, uh-huh. when you when you rewatch the other ones, you really do see how much uh, Doug Bradley adds to them because he has such a presence. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, he was always to, probably my yeah. like highlight of those movies. Mm-hmm. He's very good in them. Honestly, when I rewatch him, even the even the ones that aren't very good, he's, he's still good in them. Uh, so he's eh, but. Uh, the new characters I like I like the new ideas I like the house, um, and then most of it though is about like these police and really I found all of that just un- totally uninteresting. Oh really? Like, I just kind of didn't even. And yeah, uh, um, so it's kind of a mixed bag. Like I didn't, I wouldn't say I disliked. I'm glad I watched it. And uh-huh. I do think it's been probably the last you know few, even the one uh, you know before that had. Doug Bradley on um, part eight, I think it was. Just thought it was horrible. 
Uh, so it's better than you know, some of the sequels, and I, uh, it's promising. Um, some of the special, a lot of the visuals are great. There's some special effects near the end that I thought weren't so hot. So it's it's a mixed bag, but uh, I would recommend watching it. I think it's, it's interesting, and I like that they try to do something different. Yeah, I like that anyway, because you know if you went too straight with you know the source material or too straight to the original movie people would be complaining about that so i think it's always better to go a little different anyway yeah so i'm actually uh going over his review and i totally agree with jason on this he said tonicliff wrote himself as the most successful role as the auditor uh, in the best centibite edition i've seen in ages and i totally agree if it's wow. Highlight of the movie is uh, Tommy Cliff as the auditor. So it's a uh-huh. really good character. He looks cool, and uh, he plays him very well. Well, you see, like I, it, I like uh, Tommy Cliff's voice too. So yeah, if he gets to yeah. speak, it's probably kind of good. Mm-hmm. In a way, I think it, the movie would have been better if Pinhead wasn't in it and it wasn't even called Hellraiser. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, but uh, I. I mean, I, I would say I liked it, but it's uh-huh. definitely not great or anything. And I will say the end, though, it just kind of ends. Oh, uh, no kidding. Uh-huh. And uh, which is odd, but from what I understand, it's a setup for a new trilogy. So but I would have liked it better, just the straight up ending. Yeah. I am kind of curious now, though. Like, I, I probably would at least watch it, you know? Yeah. I think it's worth watching. I know some people are really trashing it, and I think if maybe if you're just a really hardcore Clive Barker um, Hellraiser fan, you won't like it because it's probably not. Well, I know it's not really true to his stuff. Uh, uh-huh. At least, at least uh, the, the Hellbound Heart. But um, um, but I liked it. It was, it was different. I don't have I don't have that attachment that some people do to Hellraiser. So you right, know, it's right. different. For me. I really liked the first movie, but I'd not like. There are people that are real, you know, into it. And real purists and stuff. Yeah. Which, no, that's not a knock on anybody. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, I know, like yourself, you know, you don't like The Shining because it's much different than Stephen King. Right, right, absolutely. Yep. I just don't have the attachment to the novel, so I really like the movie. So. Right, you know, absolutely. Just, okay. So, uh Black Panther, uh, we both of us saw Troy seen it twice. Yes, and I would go see it again. I would, it restored too. restored my faith in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. Yeah. I just, uh, I absolutely loved it. And uh, it was di- totally opposite of Ragnarok, which Ragnarok <laughs> was nothing taken serious, which to me ruined the movie. Yeah. This is a pretty serious movie, but there, there are, you know, uh, com- there is, you know, comic relief, but it's comic relief done well. It's like here and there. Yep. It's not the entire film, like every scene of, of the film. Yeah, where you can't take anything seriously, and and even uh, the comic relief, like that, you know, there's some lighthearted stuff, but still, there's some serious stuff going around during. Oh yeah, it, you know? yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a it's a serious movie. It's a it's yep. completely different than any of the other Marvel movies too, it or is. any other comic. Movie, yeah, and uh, one of the guys, and I, I think he might be my guy. I'm gonna have to like keep an eye on now because, um, the one kid that was in uh, 
Oh, what was the the Key and Peele um, horror movie? Get Out. Get Out. The guy that that was in that that plays Killmonger in this one. I I just think he's great in everything I've seen him in. Yeah, he's very good. I think yeah, he's I the guy I got to keep an eye on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the I mean, they really the made a whole purple perfect purple. too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really all the roles I think were, were were just great and they really make a whole world in this movie. Yep. Yeah, that's that's what's so cool cuz you know like we said before like you get, you know, the playboy billionaire superhero guy, you know, in Iron Man and then you get the fun loving Spider-Man and you know like there's all these different things and in this one you get more like a noble character you know and he's mm-hmm. the king of this whole you know his whole country and stuff yeah and, and it's you know and, and they lot, do it really well and all the other ones are basically set in new york but various locations in new york mm-hmm. you know spider-man's more a uh, street uh, yeah. all the other ones are really you know similar uh place because they're all the avengers uh this one is just a totally you know unique uh the world mm-hmm. yeah it it like has that vibe like you know when you first saw thor and you go to you know um asgard, asgard and you're like oh wow this is a whole different place and this has that same kind of kind of cool vibe and and it's neat because in the old kirby comics it was like that too like you know, when you first saw Wakanda, it was nothing like you expected. You expected, like, mm. you know, these tribes people and stuff. And you're like, whoa, you know, these guys like this secret little place. Mm-hmm. And, like, they are so far, like, evolved. Yeah, see, I, I don't know. I wasn't familiar with the comic. So, uh, you know, I didn't really know anything about this place. So mm. uh, just, uh, I just really love the movie. And I love the villain because I like a villain who thinks they're justified in what they're doing. Yep. Yeah, and you could see it. And you so, could see, like, you know, in what he did, you were like, well, I can kind of get behind his point of view. Yeah. So, was uh, you know, then they had the straight-up villain villain in, as Claw, who's just the evil asshole. Yep. And but he was having they had fun villain, doing who, it, too. Yeah. And then they had the villain who really was not necessarily a villain. I mean, he was doing what he thought was right. So. Yep. I love this yeah, character too. That. He just seemed like so flesh and blood too. Mm-hmm. You know, because he wasn't like overly wahaha evil, you know, mm-hmm. but he was still pretty badass at the same time. Oh yeah, yeah. So this this is uh, this is up there one of my favorite Marvel movies. I agree. I agree completely. Yep. So I'm definitely glad we saw it. And it was weird because there was a guy who came in about a half hour late <laughs> and he started making terrible jokes. He was like, because he said like fragile up on the screen. He goes, fragile. It's like, yeah, we've none seen, of us uh, laugh. you know, a Christmas. And he was by himself. So it wasn't like he was saying that to his buddies. <laughs> Great. And then he repeated a few times too. Yeah, because he he must have thought no one heard it because we yeah, didn't laugh. We <laughs> did it again. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, that's the way it goes. But uh, but it was funny. I got a picture. I was a little. I was like, do I take a picture of this guy? What if he wakes up? Yeah, we didn't so, know if he was asleep or dead or turning into yeah. something. Yeah, I thought maybe. 
he's turning into uh, the thing. He definitely looks like he's turning into John Carpenter's thing. <laughs> he's kind of creepy looking. Yeah. So I put that up and uh, and like people are like, did you check on him? It's like, no, he left. And they're like, well, <laughs> you know, you don't like the movie. I was like, no, the movie ended and we left. And I just, <laughs> it's like 1130. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so I sue. I, I don't think he was dead, though, because. He was making weird noises, unless that was his death rattle. Yeah, we didn't read about him anyway. Didn't say anything in the paper. Oh, uh, yeah, that's probably sure. Uh, I'm sure any town, but uh, we live in a pretty. Well, I live in a pretty small town, so <laughs> I assume if, if some guy was just dead in our theater, probably would have made the news. <laughs> yeah, I gotta think so. If there are too many ducks in the uh, the pond next to the town hall, it makes the news. So I gotta that's think right. a guy. Guy dying in the theater, probably. Yeah. Oh, by the way, old man Bob found <laughs> dead in the theater. I didn't notice. So people were also pointing out his Smarties. He had like a a box of Smarties on his lap. He had like the death grip on that thing, though. He didn't want you stealing yeah. those. Yeah. yeah, I don't think we could have stole the Smarties. Oh, Not man. that I wanted to. I don't like Smarties. Ah, Smarties suck. At least if they were sweet tarts, I might have thought about it. Hmm. Damn. So Black Panther, great. And and the sleeping guy, he's pretty cool, too. Yeah. I don't think, <laughs> did, did we see any neat trailers? Um, yeah. Uh, hand, there was only two, I think. It oh, was, yeah, you're right. Hand, and they got right to the movie, which was cool. I was, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's true, they weren't messing around today. Yeah, and there was no, day. like, ads for Coke or car or. Jelly beans. <laughs> no. I don't know if there's ever an after jelly beans. But... It should be though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jelly Belly. I never see an ad for Jelly Belly. People <laughs> no. just know Jelly. <laughs> jelly Bellies must be so good you don't need to advertise them. Yeah, I like Jelly Bellies before they started adding stuff that tastes like skunk and dead fish and stuff. Yeah, they shouldn't have ever done that. You're right. Those are, are horrible. Who? Who do you think like? How do you think they get made? Is there that'd be like a horrible job? Like you're just sitting there, you gotta tr- like well, you know, you know, Steve, how you know, how close to vomit does this taste? <laughs> like, well, I think it I needs a little more acid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really getting the stomach acid vibe from this thing, man. <laughs> Sorry. All right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Betty. How about this one? Now, does it does it taste like a skunk that sprayed in your mouth? I mean, oh, getting that slight hint of that, but yeah, I'd like it a little more pronounced. Okay, it's like how did they come come up with the and they have to have a taste tester. Oh yeah. And I wonder if there's any <laughs> that they they get rejected. It's like, well. We were going with sorry, you know, uh, Bob, but I know you, you worked really hard on the rat feces jelly bean, but we're yeah, just going to have to pass on. Cut this time. Maybe next year. Man. Yeah, that, I'd that have to would be paid probably be a bad for... job. Yeah. Yeah, you think you well, made it. Man, I'm working for Jelly Belly. It's going to be the balls. No. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. No, bad, bad times, bad times. So I forget how I even got onto that. But. Oh, about the trailers. Oh, trailers. The hand solo, which people are already just like saying it's this bomb. 
it's like the trailer just came out. They're like, oh, it's a bomb. It's a failure. I don't know why. They just, I, I even read somewhere that somebody had said that, like, Disney's making this movie to fail. And I'm like, I really don't yeah. that's yeah. the case. Like, <laughs> like this is one of the huge franchises. Yeah. yeah. Well, we bought this franchise for $4 billion. Let's <laughs> make it bomb. Yeah, uh, who do, who even thinks like it's just dumb? Yeah, because I'm I'm sure you know in Disney you know because they they are, you know, however many hundreds of billions or whatever they have, like if they make a movie and it doesn't do well, they don't really dwell on it. I I I guess, but I can't imagine that they would set out to make a movie that was going to be a failure, especially yeah. with one of their big franchises. That's just Dumb. Mm. Yeah, it makes no sense. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that, though. Yeah, it looked good to me. I, I thought I thought it looked really cool. And mm. uh, what was the other one? Oh, Ant Man and the Wasp, which I thought looked good too. That looked good too, and I'm not a big fan of it. I didn't hate Ant Man. I just thought of like I just think it's kind of eh. But uh, yeah, I was there like, was parts stuff that I liked honestly. But yep, it just went on a little too long. I think that was a problem. yeah. Yeah, I think it should have been like a ninety-minute yep. move, being amped up the comedy and yep. left out some of the useless stuff, and it would have been pretty. It would have been good. Yeah, I think it was this training stuff that just seemed to go on for too long. Yeah, that's the one I think like the comedy was good in. Yeah, because yep. that was the vibe of the movie. It, it's yep. like the comedy of of the Marvel movies. Yep, exactly. You know, if you're just looking for like the fun romantic comedy type thing, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but that looked good. I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in seeing that. Um, uh, Kevin Smith had a heart attack this week, and I'm not a big fan of his movies, but that that doesn't matter. So, <laughs> no, you don't uh, wish the man uh, a heart attack. No, <laughs> no. So, so wish him well. And what was really weird about this? He had the heart attack and he had surgery, and it looks like he's he's going to make a full recovery. Um, that's uh, Chris, Chris, uh, the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy is a Pratt, yeah, Chris Pratt, yep, yeah. So he went on and he's like, you know, I'm praying for Kevin Smith, and then he got all this backlash. People are like, ah, pray, uh, you know, you <sighs> asshole, really, yeah. And then, so like, uh, James Gunn had to like get involved and be like, hey, you know, this guy's just you know, saying nice, so. Anyway, the, the gist of this is, I was reading this, I'm like, you just have to be a total asshole, like, it's a total <laughs> jerk-off, to, like, be an attack guy for praying for someone who had a heart attack. Yeah, that that's just so horrible, I can't imagine that. And the, 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 the thing is, like, ah, oh, well, praying really, you're praying and thoughts really mean nothing. And so, I'm like, well, I honestly don't believe in, in prayer. Right, right. But at the same time, I, I have no, well, first of all, I have no way of knowing it doesn't work. Yep. Maybe it does. I don't know. Nor does yeah, anyone I else. Really, right. Yep. So what, so at the end of the day, what does it hurt? It's not yeah. like he's going to pray for this guy and, and like the, the building's going to fall down on him or <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, if you get a million prayers, then they just pull the, the plug or something. Sorry. Yeah. Got too many prayers I, for this guy. <laughs> I do well, see, I think it's people confusing things because this has come out about the school shootings. 
And they're like, sending your thoughts and prayers do nothing to, to end those. Now, that I understand. Yep. Because it's a problem that we could try to stop, come up with yeah. policies, whatever. This is different. This is a guy at a heart attack. Chris, yep. Kratz can't fly there and, and, and like perform open heart surgery on Kevin. Yeah, Smith. he might not be a doctor either. So you might not want this man to be doing that. <laughs> right. So send in, it's basically some, you take prayer out of it. It doesn't make a difference. It's basically saying, someone saying, hey, I hope you get better. <laughs> yep. Which is fine. There's yeah, that seems like a that. good thing to do, actually. Yeah. Like he, he can't, and I saw people said, well, he could pay pal of money. It's like Kevin Smith doesn't need people to pay pal of money. <laughs> yeah, it's he not like he can bucks. afford the you know, he can't afford the uh, the surgery or something. Right. Like, I'm like, well, he could send him a gift. And I'm like, well, first of all, who knows if he wants gifts? And if all of the millions of people who know he is send gifts, what the hell is he going to do with them? It's, and it's just impractical. Not everyone who, who wants some new better is going to send the guy a gift. You yeah. be better sooner to use your money on something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if everybody sent him flowers. Yeah, then it's what they just you know the whole hospitals is filled with flowers. Yeah, because I don't Everybody think he said you know in lieu in lieu of open heart surgery we should pray. You know, no, instead of doing anything that, for the man, we're going to say pray. That would be a different story. Yep. They'd be like, "No, take the doctor, get out of here, <laughs> and around Kevin and pray, and he'll be totally fine." Yep. That's not what happened. And from experience. Experience when I was in the hospital, people just wished me well. It did help me. Oh, it made me feel yeah. better. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So much of that is just your state of mind and stuff. And... Yeah. Wow. That now that's does really th- totally suck though. That's that is a shitty <laughs> yeah. thing to do. I can't it's imagine. Like, what is wrong with people? Like my God. Like what kind of world? <laughs> like, you have <laughs> Yeah, I mean, jeez. I mean, <laughs> I was telling, I was telling Vic, who's a good, who's a friend of mine, because he was. I was like, now you know, Vic's a Christian. I was like, though, if a Buddhist would be like, you know, Buddha, I hope Buddha, you know, you know, gives you some, you know, goodwill or something. Vic's not going to be like you, asshole. I mean, what's the... God, I hope. Like, oh, anyway. Yeah. No, he. Yeah. Anyone with sense, if someone wishes you well for whatever, any yeah. god or whatever, even if it's no god, just they say, "Hey, I hope you do well." Yeah. Just say thanks. I'll be thinking about you, yeah. you know, like yeah. And this and this wasn't even the person they said. It. So if you're if you're walking down the street <laughs> and you see some guy tell some other dude, "Hey, uh, you know, have a nice day." You know, but it, what the hell? That mean that's not that means nothing. You should go and make sure this guy has a good day. Go buy him dinner. Force him to have a good day. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow, that's that's just Keep totally crap, though. That, that's awful. Yeah, yeah. It's nuts. Oh well. Anyway, I, I wouldn't have mentioned the. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even hear about uh, that. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah, I was just, I was just reading it. It drove me crazy. So uh, Dark Tower, <laughs> the series, is coming to Amazon. 
Oh, nice. Very excited uh, about that. Are they that. getting, um, oh, Idris? Is he going to? No, no. It's going to oh. be total. It's not going to be connected to the movie. There you go. Oh, okay. Read the whole thing. Well, that'll be odd. <laughs> so, uh, Ke- uh, Kevin, Vic just replied here in the, in, in the Facebook page. By the way, for listening live, come over to facebook.com slash group slash without your head horror. You can, uh, interact with us during the live show or all throughout the week. Uh, so anyway, Ke- uh, Vic says, I keep calling Kevin. I guess the whole internet would be happier if Pratt had said he hoped Kevin Smith would die. <laughs> well, even then, they'd probably get mad. They'd be like, how oh, can you hope? Go there and kill the man. <laughs> Nothing hope gets not done if you shit. hope, for God's sakes. <laughs> Go there and put a pillow over his head. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> wow, that's, that's like the strangest thing I've ever heard, I think. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. I'm like, what the hell kind of people? <laughs> I don't, I just don't understand. No, that's that's even angrier than you think. Like people can be if they want to get mad at something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, the Dark Tower. Be looking forward to that. And another series. Well, there's a couple of series. There's um the ones coming to Hulu, uh, Castle Rock, which is going to be like a combination of all different Stephen King uh, stories, you know, set in place in one town. Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And that would be like original stories, you know, involving the ones. So a whole, I think that has potential to be great or really shitty. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably <laughs> right. Uh, then another one though, I'm, I've known, I don't know anything about this is a TV series coming. Uh, the bone church, the bone church. And it's another gang thing? Yeah, it's weird because it's a series that's based off a narrative poem in his uh, new anthology, The Bizarre Bad Dream. So I assume it's not very long. So it'd be weird to even make a movie off like a poem, but uh, an ongoing series? Wow. Uh, I don't know. That one I don't know I I hoped for. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Maybe it's I don't I don't think it's like a twelve hundred page, you know, poem. It's probably right. like a page or two. So <laughs> I, I don't like I'll make a whole series of every every word will be a season. <laughs> yeah, that might be overdoing things a wee bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh so Arrow uh has a bunch of cool stuff coming out. I love Arrow. They put out you know, mostly older movies, and then they, uh, you know, make them look better. That's yep. a technical term. And uh, all kinds of specials, too. So uh, this week, I got the Basket Case Special Edition, which I'm dying for. Ooh, that should be interesting. Yeah. And uh, Scalpel, which I'd never heard of. And so it's, uh, I, think it was, I think it was from 1977. Hmm. Let me get the. Let me get the. the I'm gonna pull up. Uh, I'm gonna cheat and go to IMDb just so I get yep. the name of the actor right. So I uh, I watched it with our mom because neither of us in 1977 neither of us, uh, had ever seen it and I just I really liked it. It's uh, Robert Scalpel. Lansing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Here's the write up. Just a quick thing. So it's like a uh, psychopathic plastic surgeon transforms a young accident victim into the spinning image of his missing daughter. And so 
it's a really neat story. It's a uh, made well. Uh, <laughs> it's original. I never really seen anything you know, like it before. And there's so many just little, like not stuff to beat you over the head, but a lot of really dark humor in it that actually made me laugh out loud. Hmm. Like, like just for example, there's like a he's telling his talking to his daughter, who's not really his daughter, but the woman looks like his daughter, uh, about uh, how their the uh, his wife died. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, it was an accident. It was an accident in the lake. She drowned. And so, but they're showing like, you know, like his memory. And so mm-hmm. his wife's like in the lake, like drowning. And he's just sitting there in like his little paddle boat, like, like waving at her. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Because <laughs> the rest because the movie's like serious, but then they have these really like dark, humorous things. And uh, it's very funny. So uh-huh. it's a, it's a really little hidden gem, I think. Like I think I say it's the greatest movie ever made or something. Right, but right. Uh, I I really enjoyed it. I'd never heard of it before, and it's just a just a nice little gem. I'll have to look for that one. I I had never heard of it before. Yeah, I really liked it, and uh, I didn't listen to the. I you know it's got commentary and a bunch of stuff. So I Ooh, look so forward a bunch to of things uh, to check out. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really fun to watch. You know, something you know from the seventies that you'd never heard of. Yeah, because you wouldn't expect anything, you know, that, like, at least you would have heard of, not, you know, even if you hadn't seen it. Yeah. So, well, this guy, uh, Robert Lansing, he's uh, like an older character actor. He was in, like, uh, some old Star Treks and Twilight Zones. And I've heard the, the name Empire. before. Yeah, you definitely, when you see him, you definitely, you know, have seen the guy before. But not somebody I would know by name, but right, it's, you know, all kinds of Simon and Simon he was in. Oh no, Manics. Uh, wow, Manix. He was all over the place. This guy. He was uh, in Empire of the Ants. No, uh, I love Empire of the Ants. Same year that this a came million out. years. He was Doctor Scott Nelson in in Four D Man in nineteen fifty nine. Whoa! So I think he was like kind of man. a yeah. I think he's kind of a leading man guy back in the day. And then when he got older, he started doing some you know crazy horror films. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but excellent actor. Sometimes you find some great stuff though when you when you find the guys like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, left, last house on the left, they're putting out a new one. And uh, what's cool is it's going to uh, debut at uh, Texas Frightmare. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, and they're having some of the actors, the original actors uh, from the movie in, oh, in wow. attendance. So it's going to be pretty sweet. Yeah, that sounds like a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so always check out Arrow. They're always putting out like some wild stuff. I wouldn't. We've got, we got some questions here from the Headless Ones, Troy. Oh, all right. Hit me, Neil. I'm ready for some questions. Adam Gonzalez says, how much longer do you see The Walking Dead lasting? And do you believe they will they will kill Negan off the show? Because they don't always go by the comics. And right. would you watch an animated series of The Walking Dead from the comics? Um, I would definitely watch an animated series of, of the would, comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I, would, I would actually love that. Um. I do, I do see a lot of backlash to the show now. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, some of it, I think, is people just wanting to be cool, which always was there. And then I do see a lot of people who talk about never watching it or that stopped watching it for years 
but yet know everything that happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they're too cool for school. Yeah. But I do think we're seeing the decline of the show because there are people turning on that. So um, I think they're, I think it still makes a lot of money, though, for, for the for the mm-hmm. channel. So I think as long as it's still making you know, cash, uh, it'll do well. At the same time, though, I did see a lot of people that were very, like, like, like literally depressed that they, they uh, spoiler alert, that they killed off uh, Carl. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, uh, there, there's been a few characters lately that, you know, over the last couple of years, uh, that when they've killed them off, and and it's so strange because you figure that you know people, people would be, yeah, it's like well, it's kind of the the show itself, you know, it's like mm-hmm. they're in a pretty dangerous world, so nobody is yeah. safe ever. Yeah, I I will say, um, uh. Um, some of the people they killed and then they replaced with new characters. A lot of those new characters, I think, aren't aren't very interesting. Oh, okay. But over the, but over the years, I, I've never I've thought on and off that a lot of the the main characters aren't that interesting. But uh, yeah. I'm totally totally against anyone who thinks the the addition of Negan was bad. I thought that was really a big spark to the show. I think he, the he just nails the character. Mm-hmm. He's perfect. Like when you're reading the comic, I mean, this, he he just nails it right on uh, right on the show. Maybe I know people say he's not as big as the Negan in the comic. Like you know, yeah, but, that's, but that, to me that's, that's like it's important. You know, that, I don't think it's important at all. Like right, it's not like he's like like he's a midget or something. He's a tall yeah. guy. He's, he's a little lanky, but uh, yeah. uh, to me that that means nothing. I think. Mean, he just really, he even nails the mannerisms. A lot of like the weird little ang- like comic book angles, how Negan stands, he really nails. I, I thought that he's been uh, a great addition. I honestly think he's probably my favorite character ever on the show. Even over the governor, huh? Yeah, which I, I like the governor yeah. a lot. But uh, yeah, I think he's my favorite. Oh, that's so awesome. That, so uh, it's weird because they don't have him on the show a lot. Like he wasn't on this the, the first episode. Uh, the, the, the Negan light episodes are not as my favorites. So I did think the, um, the season premiere was, was, was very good to I me. Mean, it was basically the whole episode was about the death of Carl. And, uh, I thought it was, it was a really good episode. I thought it was emotional and mm-hmm. I, I dug it and I, I like the show. I do think that I think a problem in every season of the walking dead is the pacing. I mm-hmm. think if you walk, Watch the whole season as a binge. It works. Oh, but but as individual episodes, it's really not done well because I don't think they think of it as individual episodes. They think it was one one story arc. So, Mm -hmm. like if you took an episode of a regular TV show or movie, there's going to be lulls because if you have nonstop, you know, zombies and stuff, you're going to get bored. Yeah. Yeah, you have you have been flow. Just any type of storytelling, even a book or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but you read that all at once, or you watch it all at once. But if you were to cut that up, so like you in volumes for a book, and you had like one volume of a book, like if it was a really big book and you cut into volumes, let's say volume three, and it's nothing but you know people talking, like a you know a lull in the story. Yep. If you read that by itself, it's gonna suck. <laughs> yeah. It's going to bore you to death. Uh, yeah. So I do think they do a poor job on that, 
on the show because there's there'll be episodes that really do, doesn't advance a story or or only advances a story and there's really nothing else going on just some you know uh, people talking and it's not very exciting and then the next one will be just non-stop back so i think if they would do a better job at flushing that out like uh, game of thrones does e- each individual yeah. episode's good even the big yeah, that's battles true. You yeah know, you know the other episodes not like, like it's just a guy sitting there talking uh, plus the the dialogue is much better written obviously in, yeah. in game of thrones so that i mean i don't think i never ever thought it was a perfect show but, but I, I enjoyed overall oh yeah absolutely i agree funny because a lot of people really love the first season and outside of the first episode i really thought it kind of it kind of sucked yeah i had actually stopped watching and got back into it later because yeah. when they veered off so much from the comic i just really couldn't take it yeah and i really thought that first season just every character was just like a i mean you know it's just like this is the mexican guy this is the black guy this is <laughs> yeah. the old guy this is you know the dumb racist you know redneck and Yep, I thought it was pretty poor, but um, anyway, and it like, was anyway, don't too. Yeah, anyway, it's like if you don't like the show, just don't watch it. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know of any other show that like you know if you don't like it, you still know everything that happens every week, and yeah, and you're compelled to talk about it. it like, yeah, you don't yeah. Like it. did I did I hate it? You know, it's like weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I mean, there's plenty of shows I've never even watched. I just don't sit there like, ah, oh, this fucking show, you know, CSI <laughs> yeah. Miami, that fucking piece of shit. I'll never watch that. It's like but I just I'll don't tell like you those last week that uh, you know when so and so found that clue, that, uh, that was foolish. Oh, okay, yeah. I've yeah. never watched I just don't an like episode for him. I yeah, don't like, like those procedures. I don't like like reality shows. But I'll no. just sit there and like, ah, you fucking assholes watching this bullshit. <laughs> Unless you're watching, just, you know, uh, don't watch it. Uh, I wasn't uh, watching the Hillbilly Monster Hunters. <laughs> no, well, they're, they're kind of cool, though, I think. In a way. Yeah, they take the reality out of reality shows. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're building a 20-foot... <laughs> monster trap to get Sasquatch in or something. Now, I won't say it's a scripted show, because that's what they call shows now that aren't, you know, that are just what would normally be a TV show. They're called scripted television. <laughs> uh, so I don't, I don't think the Hillbilly Hunting Monsters is scripted, but it's, it's, I don't think it's reality either. <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically like professional wrestling. It's just this, it's like calling it in the ring professional wrestling. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Like, a bunch of hillbillies got together, like, Joe, you know, know, uh, grow your beard out, wear overalls, Billy, we get real fat, and we're just going (laughs) to go out there and make shit up. And be like, you think so, Wilbur? And like, hell yeah, people eat it up, and I think that's what the show is. And they're like, but don't ever break, (laughs) but don't break. Don't break kayfabe. Never like wink. There's no winking. Yeah. Never yeah. wink at the camera. Like, hey, the you know, the werewolf. It's played realistic, which I think is kind of genius. Oh, yeah. It definitely is. I should really watch more of it now that I think about it. 
that's you can all based watch off that like, thing, I bet. Yeah. That's like based off two 20 minute segments I watched on the show. <laughs> Maybe it really sucks after you actually sit there and watch it. I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've known people, though, that are, like, hooked on it. They always watch it. I they know see. the characters by names and everything. Yeah. It doesn't intrigue me. I get a laugh whenever I've seen it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, if you get monsters and hillbillies together, that's two of your favorite exactly. things. You know? exactly. uh, oh, by the way, Adam, about, uh, back to his question. Uh, do I think I think they'll kill Negan off. I don't. I hate to spoil anything. Uh, spoiler, if you never read the comic and want to, blah, 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 blah. He's not killed in the comic book. Uh, I won't say what happens in the comic, but I think it's it's very well done in the comic. Um, well, until a point. Uh, but the uh, I don't think they'll do that in the comic and the show. I think they'll just kill him. Just kill him. Yeah. Maybe I... I'll be wrong, but I think they, I think they will. No. I think the kind of like the looking to the future where they show old man Rick and stuff is really just, which I'm fine with, but it's like fan service to the, the readers of the comic. Cause I don't think they're going to do it. Cause in the comic, it skips like five years or so mm-hmm. after the Negan battle ends. Cause they rebuild society instead of showing all of that. They just skip ahead. You know, show that it's already doing that. I don't think they'll do that on the show. I could be wrong, but I, I don't think they will. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, let's see here. Anastasios Theodosiadis wants to know our top five Netflix movies. I think that's the one we'd have to really think about. That's true. I, I don't think I could, like, name them offhand. And I don't know, like, Movies or the shows? I, I watch a lot more of, I think, their shows in there. Yeah. Or that I know that are made for Netflix. Yeah, like some, well, some of the movies like, I may have watched, but I don't yeah, know. I, that were, yeah. I really like Bright recently. I really like Gerald's Game. Mm, yep. Really like 1922. Yep. And I really like The Ritual. It's four. I didn't see I The really, Ritual yet. I got to Oh, that. you should watch that. I really, yeah. I really dug it. I think you'd like it. I think I would. And I, mm-hmm. and I really disliked the uh, the third uh, Cloverfield. It was just the pits. Is it as bad as the I, original? It's probably worse. Oh, that's not good. No, I think I think you you should only make them if uh, John Goodman's in them. Yeah, Goodman makes everything better. Yeah, if he's not in them. I don't want to watch them because they're two. They're they're the two shit ones, in my opinion. Don't have John Goodman in. The one good one has John Goodman in. <laughs> yep, there's something to be said for that. I think. Uh, uh, Paul Fluitt, uh, the diminishing returns of the Hellraiser franchise, and the sheer cost of being a Clyde Barker fan these days. Deluxe editions of Books of Blood stories retailing at over $100 a piece. Damn. Really? Wow. Uh, I wonder why. In a book, I don't know if that means that that's just the, the price of them new or if they're old, like, collector ones. Because I'm not oh, really familiar. Okay. But uh, I think they're just new books. That's a lot. Yeah. And then this one, I don't know. Uh, a book that clocks in at less than 100 words. Not even written by Barker, but using the Hellraiser trope, cashing in at forty bucks a book. 
Are you serious? I don't know. It's crazy to me. He says a hundred words out. Just if you less a hundred words, say that. I mean, that's not that's not even like a novella. I mean, that's like that's like that's like a paragraph. Is that like a page? And you guy just wrote pages, like a hundred words on a page. Man, oh. if that if you could get forty bucks for hundred words, I gotta start writing. <laughs> like here's I, my book. I gotta say that though, Dale, and I, I am a person that loves books, like actual physical books. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have nothing against it. If somebody wants to read something on a Kindle, that's cool. It's not my thing, but you know, yeah. I just like the feel and smell and touch of a book. Um, but the the trend that I have seen over the last like five or six years, and I think it's because there's so many like small market presses coming out and things like that. And it's cool in a way because, you know, you love to see like, you know, a, a quality, well-made book. But at the same time, if you've got to pay these crazy prices for them, because I've, I've had it with the last couple of like Harlan Ellison books I picked up and mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, I don't want to pay $80 for a book. You know, that's just yeah. to me, you know, unless it's like a very limited print kind of, you know, when it comes with some stuff, if it's, if it's autographed, that's different. But if you're just getting a hardcover book and you're shelling out, you know, 80 or 100 bucks for it, that's just crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's nuts. And I've seen it more and more lately. And, you know, and I want to support like these craftsman type people, but I think there has to be a happy medium. There has to be a way that they can get this stuff out without shelling out, you know, that kind of money. Yeah, I, I, I need to know more information, because maybe it's, like, if it's, like, a a graphic novel and it's mostly art, then I could see it. But I can't see a book being sold that's less than 100 pages. I mean, 100 no, words. Yeah, that's, that seems nutty to me. Even You know, 100 pages is different. I wonder, maybe he, like, you know, misspoke or misprinted. Oh. Maybe it's 100 pages. From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old-world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Ripley, we should have The tomb of Nick Cage. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. Yeah, so uh, anyway, th- sorry for the, the way it's a technical problems there. But uh, I don't know how far we got, but I I did see on uh, Amazon Hellraiser the Toll, and it's a book by uh, Mark Allen Miller, and uh, Clive Barker does the illustrations, and it's uh, ninety six pages, so it must be uh, that must oh, be okay. Yep, yep. 
but still though, if it's like a hundred bucks for well, it's forty two forty dollars was the uh oh, okay. suggested retail price and now it's thirty two dollars and ten cents. <laughs> that is quite a bit. Yeah, that seems like like a pretty high markup, you know. Mm-hmm. Hundred pages, pretty small book. It is. That's way small. I'm I guess the other ones are behind it with you know other things and made like you said, like a you know a group of short stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were saying. I guess the books of blood uh, they're a hundred dollars. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's a weird trend. I'm not familiar man. with the book. Yeah. I see you can get the paperback for sixteen dollars, uh books okay. of blood. And that's five hundred pages. So I mean that's a good deal. Yeah. It must be some kind of special uh Yeah, maybe it's some kind of collector's deal. edition or something. Yeah. Which as long as you have the option, I have no problem with it, like Right. You know, one way somebody or the other. wants to buy some really nice, well-made book for you know for a good chunk of change. That's fine, but as long as you can still read it without paying you know a hundred bucks for it. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, but uh, if if that's a thing where it's probably just because people don't buy books, so to make them the they make any money off of them they have to put out these you know crazy prices yeah that's that's sad if that's the case yeah it's it's like the cds to sell the cds they usually have to add you know like a lot of extras like books and little oh yeah you know trinkets people just download them now it's a crazy world we're living in it is a crazy world troy it's a crazy world speaking of crazy world uh uh on the on the website i'm not gonna talk too much about this but uh there is a, a podcast and tons of screenshots and there'll be audio clips of uh of debunking all the quote-unquote evidence of uh heather markham aka uh mom a creepy and her blatantly false accusation and the thing is, it's not just me saying this. It, we have witnesses. Troy's one of them, and Jason yeah. is one of them. Just sad times. Yeah, you know, for somebody I thought, you know, was a good person, and I didn't mm-hmm. expect any of this from. You know, I thought, I thought she liked us, and vice versa. You know, I know we liked her. We were fine with her. Yeah, yeah right. And it was just yeah. yeah. And it- just a shame. If you, yeah. Apparently, she supposedly wanted to leave the show, and so, so I don't know what you know. And, and she said she got her wish. We, uh, we decided, you know, parted ways on the show. Uh, yep. uh, but that doesn't mean you just make up shit. I mean, you can go out there and just say I'm a shithead or something. But oh uh, yeah, to, to make, make up really horrible. I mean, sexual. Harassment's an awful thing, and to make it up is just, you know, it's really shameful. Yeah, for something that can really ruin somebody's life. I mean, that's, you know, you got to think something like that through a little bit. And even if it's someone that you don't like, 
or even somebody that was horrible to you. If you know, if that stuff isn't true, then you know, shame on you. You know, really. Yeah, it's really disgusting. You know, not just not even just for me, but uh, the show. Everyone involved in the show. Everyone who's ever been involved in the show, and uh, for people that 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 harassment has actually happened to. Yeah. Yeah, it's just all around sad. It's this is a chapter mm-hmm. that hopefully we move away from and it is forgotten sooner than later. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh if if you had any doubts, I mean I think it's really well laid out. It's yep. I don't see how you could think any anything else if you even just look at the screenshots cuz there's stuff out of context so then you see it in context and you see what it is and there's some pictures that she sent herself and there's you know jokes that she made it's just uh it's just uh, it's just not true at all even like you know minor details oh yeah just anybody i I don't see anybody that would look at it and think otherwise you know once you see it all in context and Mm -hmm. you know even even the other stuff was dubious at best anyway. And then once, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, half the stuff was just silly it. pictures I had on my fa- right on my Facebook. Ah, exactly. It's like or you know, if you wanna, from the website. You know, if you want to say like somebody's guilty of having like you know a weird sense of humor or something, okay, then you know. Hit, sure, hit but at the same time, that, you can't. But, can't yeah. but then you can't. You uh, you can't. You know, partake in the same type of humor. Oh, exactly, exactly. So it's just, ah, just so stupid. Yeah, it's not. I mean, I'm glad we had to put all this stuff up there, just because you know I want all the truth out there. But it's silly to even talk about because it's just, it's so dumb. It is. It's just such a waste. You know, just a waste of everybody's time and effort. For nothing, you know, for something that just like was just ludicrous at the at the best. Mm. And if so, anybody uh, if anybody saw it though and believed it, go to the website and look at like the full thing that Neil had posted up. Mm-hmm. And he and Annabelle did a podcast, and they, you know, like you said, you debunked it basically. And yeah, do yourself a favor. And just check it out. If you know, if you're on the fence, if you're like, "Geez, I want to believe Neil, but that's you know, that's a horrible thing." Well, just go over and check this out because there it is, warts and all. It's you mm-hmm. know, it's just the way things went down. And this is mm-hmm. isn't even with the other people that know either parts or were involved in almost all of it, like mm-hmm. saying too much. Because if it ever came to that, I could say my side. And mm-hmm. my side goes completely with you because I was there during the show, during all these things. And, and uh, the group yeah, on the show with, yeah, and, and off air with us. Yep, yep. So it's just completely false. Everything she had said was just craziness. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just it really is shameful, and uh, uh, I mean, from what I understand, she's still messaging people about this, which I, I just don't even understand the mindset. But again, go there, and I will. I want to thank everyone because I haven't seen any backlash uh, against me, and I haven't seen anyone, you know, 
since uh, since you started putting out the evidence and since I put up this podcast, you know, looking at it and saying, oh, well, you know, whatever. I mean, everyone is, is very supportive and yeah. even people that uh, that uh, weren't uh, on good terms with the show. Like uh, Annabelle came back and did this with me. That was nice of her. And, and yeah. uh, Doobie, Jeremy Doobie, who uh, who had a falling out with everybody, he he posted, which I, I thought that was very good of him. Yep. So. Well, just, just you know, uh, anytime something, yeah. Right is right. Right is yep. right. And wrong is wrong. And you yeah. got to think like how scary it could be, like if if things had happened, if that was exactly how everything went down, but you didn't have any kind of evidence on your part, mm-hmm. you know how scary things could have been, because then it would have just been a he said I she was, said kind of thing, exactly, right? Exactly. Exactly. But this is because uh, all our correspondence is through Facebook messages and on this podcast, so it's. Yep. All either audio or, or or text recorded, so it's easy. It's just so easy just to show. Yep. And uh, and there's witnesses. Uh, Troy and Jason were there for most of it. There's also witnesses in a way because uh, Annabelle and um, and Seth were were talking with her, and she was saying yep. stuff that's just clearly not true. And then she said stuff about uh, stuff that they said, which they didn't. And just, I I don't know if this. If there's, I don't want to say something wrong with her or, or if it's just, it's either just, you just make it stuff up or maybe there's like something, you know, wrong with her where she gets like counseling or I don't know, but it's not, it's just so untrue. Yeah. And it's sad because I'd like to say, I wish her the best, but after all this, I really can't, oh, no, I can't. you know, it's yeah, like no. just a I, horrible thing to do to anybody, you know, just yeah. terrible. Yeah. If she would have roles left, were reversed, I would have been like horrified. I would have been ashamed of you. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. It's just, just an awful, terrible. awful thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, trying to be like as nice as they can, but it's just a horrible thing. Oh, of course it is. Horrible and shameful. Yep. So, um, so anyway, it's up there if you guys want to check it out. And uh, anyway, I had a good show. We had a really good show though tonight. It was it was a lot of fun tonight. And uh, if anyone hasn't seen the Black Panther, go out and check it out because it's just such a tremendous movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. It's it's fantastic. So I don't know who will be on next week, but we got a lot of guests in the works uh, coming up. The Saska Twins will be on the show in April, I believe. Sweet. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's gonna be, that's gonna be a good time. Andre Gower is gonna be on the show soon. Who's uh from the uh, the original. Monster Squad. Oh, that's well, not awesome. the original because it's a TV show, but from oh, the amazing yeah. Monster Squad, he wore the Stephen King rule shirt. Hell that's yeah. gonna be sweet. Uh, um, uh, lots of other people. Just check out the website withoutyourhead.com. And uh, oh, by the way, oh, this was what I want to say. BFF Girls, uh, which is gonna premiere at uh, the Buff Boston Underground Film Festival, and it has the voices of of Michael Saint Michaels. And Lawrence Har- Harvey. Oh, that's awesome. And one of the producers, Jill Six, so it was like, this just sounds amazing. So uh, we're going to have the cast and crew on the show in a couple weeks here. Uh, probably either the week of Boston Underground or the, or the week before. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be this. Oh, yeah. Be Is it animated, Neil? No, it's... Um, you know, it's live action, but they're oh, the voices okay. of some of the characters in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's uh, awesome. so 
Yeah. And uh, by the way, Lawrence is in the hospital right now. So all of us here uh, wish for God's sake, don't friend. say you're praying for him. <laughs> not praying for him. But I do. Uh, I do. I'll go there and 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 uh, give him. I was gonna say mouth to mouth, but that might be weird. But I'll go that, there and I'll bring him. A, I'll bring him a cookie myself. That's right. We'll give him a lucky charm pie slice and wish him all the best because Lawrence is a really really super nice guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and not just. I mean, we have people that are friendly with the show, but he's a true uh, friend of the show. Yeah, yep, definitely, definitely. Just just a really neat guy. Yeah, so go there and uh, send him some some nice uh, messages on the Twitter and the Facebook. Yep, yep. Show some support. Show your Lawrence love. Exactly. Centipede love. Exactly. Oh, on a on a little side note, um, when we had seen uh, the Panther for the first time, there were more trailers and such. Mm-hmm. And um, last year, uh, Studio Ghibli. I don't know what their anniversary was, but they re-released a bunch of their animated films on the big screen. And so Mm -hmm. I caught as many of those as I could. Like, I think I probably saw six out of the eight that they, they re-released or maybe it was five out of six, whatever it was. Um, and so I guess it was a huge hit for them. So they're going to continue to do that this year. Oh, wow. Sweet. Yeah. So I think this month it starts up and, um, Ponyo is uh, is their first one for this year to mm-hmm. to see on the big screen, and I I haven't seen it on the big screen, so I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. If, if you haven't seen Ponyo, it's it's just a really really just beautiful movie about a uh, fish that turns into a little girl, and it's just oh really nice stuff, yeah. Cool, yeah, I'll be interested in that. The um, theater I love, uh, the Coolidge. I don't get there too often because uh, of the midnight movies and there's nothing to do in Boston till then till six in the morning. So I just kind of <laughs> sit around. But uh, they're Pretend they you're a, a homeless series. guy during, <laughs> during the uh, six hours. So, but they're doing a new series. It's just uh, it's not necessarily cult movies like their midnight ones. It's uh, like classic films. And uh, that's going to be uh, like Mondays at seven. So I'll definitely be doing some of these. They've already announced some of them. And Ooh. you got you got Godfather 2? Oh, no way. Yeah, so I was like, holy shit, I'd love to see that. I've never seen it on the big screen. No, I don't think I have either. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And Apocalypse Now. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Are, are they recent? Or, right, I mean, yep. are they coming soon? Or is this going to be? Yeah, I think, in, I think like, well, I think maybe in April or something. But, but uh, not that far away. No. That's awesome. That's great to yeah. hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Wizard of Oz too. Oh, that's cool. see now that would be fun to see on the big screen. I bet. Yeah, yeah. And then they had another one. It's it's like uh, another series. It's on Thursday, so I'm not going to go to it. But but uh, but Troy, they have a movie you would love to go see on Ooh. the big screen. Hit me, hit me. <laughs> <laughs> you know when I think of Godfather too, uh, an apocalypse now. <laughs> The uh, next natural movie in succession in there is is probably Footloose. Uh-huh. I was thinking yeah. maybe like Taxi Driver, but I don't know. I think Footloose probably does like uh, yeah, yeah. Footloose does trumpets. 
is <laughs> probably the one. Yeah, yeah. Partly. Now, Partly. <laughs> the only sad thing about that, I think, isn't Lithgow in Fort Loose? Uh, yeah, I think it's got a pretty good cast. Is it? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I think you're I don't know. I think <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen that movie all of once. Uh-huh. Kevin Bacon. Well, how about if they just had a Kevin Bacon marathon? <laughs> that would be something. <laughs> Can we just die? <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be definitely different. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. What what are some good Kevin Bacon films? Um, huh. You know what? He is in some good stuff. Mystic Rivers, fantastic. Woodsman's good. What's Woods? Hollow Man. Not some. Woodsman's a really weird movie. Like, um, it's about. I mean, he plays a pedophile. Oh, really? And uh, he plays child molester, and he goes to the prison and comes out, and it's, it's like, it's definitely not a movie for everybody uh-huh. because it's like about. It's like a sympathetic movie about a you know a, a pedophile and. How he's like fighting the urges, and I don't know. It's I really like the movie, but I could see it, it just being a, a a movie that would have a hard time fighting an audience. Oh, okay. Because it's it's kind of I mean it's it's a it's a weird subject matter. Yeah, but, it is. Uh, but I do find interest. It's good. It's a good movie. I think he was also in a um oh well, no, Tremors. I like Tremors. Yeah, Tremors. All right, so I guess there are some. Because yeah. I remember he's in, um, is it what, what dreams may come? Hmm. I think he might have been in that one. Yeah, I know he plays like a played like a really vicious, uh, like a prison guard, and something was good. Okay. Sleepers, sleepers. That might be it. Oh. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I think uh, he's a good man. Part. Oh, yeah, that's true. An animal house, although he's not a big role. Yeah. I think he yeah. says, thank you, sir. May I have another? In that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's right. And the original Friday the 13th. Yep, yep. Yeah. I don't know if any of these movies are good because Kevin Bacon's in them. <laughs> <laughs> but they are good movies, and they happen to have Kevin Bacon in them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they're all better than Footloose. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm looking here. Really, it's like I feel bad now. I think the only movie that's really like I don't like is, is Footloose. Oh, really? <laughs> Hollow Hollow Man's pretty bad too. Yeah, Hollow Man, I didn't really care for. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, there was one of those Richard Matheson ones. I thought it was What Dreams May Come, but maybe it wasn't. So if Kevin. And Bacon is listening. We apologize. That's true. We are sorry that you made the footloose. <laughs> then might be his most famous role. I don't know. That's true. March twenty fifth and twenty sixth. That's when Ponyo uh, has its ten year anniversary and it comes back to the big screen. All right. Apparently, he's in planes, trains, and automobiles. I don't remember that at no all. No kidding. Maybe it was one of those scenes cut like out, a, like uh, like maybe. our fire-eating woman. <laughs> yeah, like lamb. Yep, yep. 
Could be. Could be. All right. Well, until next week, this is Nasty Neil. And this is terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And this is without your head. <laughs> <laughs> Ha 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 